This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning to you. You ready for a whole new week? You know, it's just how life works. You get a weekend and then you get a great week. That's how it Okay, kids, sit down, sit down, quit throwing things. Get off your brother. Anyway, we got a great show for you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, with, our, with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, we are going to find out uh, what happened to the president. He, you know, a huge event goes on in uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, with um, a rally and violence, and a guy drives into a crowd of people, kills, oh. kills a person. And uh, a lot of people are complaining that they're not hearing from the president or they're not hearing what they think they should be hearing. So we're going to talk to Joe about what's going on there. What is the big deal? It seems like you you ought to be able to very quickly, very angrily, easily say this is crazy. This has got to stop. Don't you think it's interesting that this is the one guest that we don't really need a setup sheet for? I know. Because there's just so much to talk about every Uh. week. Every week. Isn't that wild? Except for the setup sheet I create for it every week. Well, yeah. The I mean, just, intro just, is just what go I'm... ahead and acknowledge my work, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> oh, is that what this is? Yeah, just, just fine. That's fine. This little setup yeah, sheet Yeah, I thing? just put stuff together. What I mean <laughs> is there's just so much yeah. news no, that... Easy. That's the easy it, news. It, it's is, as it if... is very easy to compile, so put it that way. And the setup sheet is so good, it's as if it writes itself. It's as if it doesn't exist. I... <laughs> Terry's... I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, you don't know. You don't know what's going on on the other side of the, all of those terminals that you have. You have all True. of these. You have this. You're all computerized over here. We're all just using paper. See, I will admit when I'm wrong. Yeah. Unlike some people. Yeah. Mm, that we'll that? be talking about with Joe Cannon. Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. that person. This whole <laughs> argument with the president didn't say the right thing. Mm-hmm. Did he? Yeah, did he? What did, did he say? Whenever I hear that, it's like, okay, you know, you didn't vote for the guy. You don't like yeah. him. So you're looking for things to say. President Obama never said, what is it, Islamic yeah. militant. Yeah. You know, that, they, he didn't qualify it the right way. But they, everyone's playing clips of, of President Trump saying, you have to identify the problem. And then he says it's, you it, know, Islamic terrorism. You have yeah. to say it, you know, say the words. Say the words. And then when it comes down to Beetlejuice, this situation. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Right. And it comes down to this situation. He didn't say the words. Yeah, but it, are we reacting the same way? I think it's different, though. When this you, is different when you see the pictures over the weekend of people the, flying the swastika flag next to the <laughs> Trump "Make America Great Again" sign, or the guy wearing the "Make Make America Great Again" hat. And he's got the the Nazi armband on. Yeah, <laughs> that I think that's the point where you denounce the Nazi all right nationalism type stuff. Well, and then what we've done in the past, you know influences how we talk about it today and because he hasn't ever really aggressively denounced white supremacy right or when given when you know it comes up which it did during the campaign yeah it's two or three shots before he actually says something and then Mm -hmm. but he makes a comment here where it's like um there are multiple kind of causes there's multiple issues here and by the way there's always multiple issues so but you still have to come right out and just say this is Horrible. Yep. It has to be the first thing you say. 
and you and this can't be tolerated. That has to be like the second thing you say. And that ended up being about the ninth or tenth or eleventh thing he did said. He, did he open with, I just want everybody to know I won the election? No, no. He left all, that, all okay. that out. He was actually doing something else at the time. There was another – it was a whole different reason they were having a press conference. And he – you know, because it just happened, he, he was able to talk about it. But it this just, is – he he seemed to approach it and then sort of not go all the way. Some of the reports yeah. I've read was that many of the people that advise him were saying you need to talk about this, you need to address it by name, and he and decided yeah. not to. Yeah, he's I, learning still. Come on, uh, I don't know. I this shouldn't be that big of a deal. He should have just. This, I mean, because Mike Pence like said it, all these right. Republicans came out and said it. It's just like, come on, man. But his entire career, he's he's been able to not apologize in every circumstance yeah he's made a career of that he's yeah he's he's the great non-apologist he knows how to dance around an issue he's the dancing non-apologist the guy can dance and not apologize but i don't know it just seemed like there's just some things that you just you just get out of the way by just crushing it nazi bad nazi equals bad i thought that was already remember remember those obama uh you know those uh, hope signs yeah, that he used hope, to have yeah. with his picture on yeah. it, and they they used to put the the mustache, the mustache, the Hitler mustache on Obama. Yeah, yeah, it's all the same. Every president these days is going to have something like that. Yeah, because you have an opposition, an opposing side. But I mean, Ugh. Obama didn't have people holding up like Nazi signs with his campaign yeah. signs. It's like, I love come how on, man. I love how it's like I don't support you, so therefore you're Hitler. Right. That's, that's where <laughs> yeah. everything goes. Except that apparently the guy who there's some guy who coined the term that if your online argument, you start fighting, it'll end in Hitler. Then you've gone the wrong way. <laughs> the, minute, the minute you're yeah, invoking Hitler. Yesterday he said, yeah, go ahead. Criticize Trump for not – you know, if you want to go to Hitler, I guess you do because he won't stand up and uh, oh. criticize stuff. So he even buckled yesterday too. So, so Joe Cannon will be with us uh, hopefully giving us – I mean there is – he has a following. President Trump, a percentage of his followers believe in this. They he, They like this. This is yeah. – they're not just nationalists. They're kind of pro-white nationalists. But you're and, pro- I mean, someone is trying to put a number on it, and it's probably less than, say, 10%. Or, yeah, probably, even that's or a even huge probably, number. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a lot less than that, I would think. But that's the, the, loud, that's the loudest voice in the room right now, right? Well, and, and then this also plays on to the Steve Bannon deal. Like, is Bannon going to be able to survive the week or two because supposedly the knives are coming out because they're finding out – Maybe he's the guy that's been leaking, that's leaking. so much. Yeah, yeah. And he and his Breitbart paper supposedly, you know, foster alliances and allegiance to some of these silly groups problems. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's going to be crazy. That's why Joe's on the show. So Joe's going to give us a little Washington insider view of the whole thing, the political side of it all. Uh, we'll get to all of that fun. Plus, of course, empty news headlines. Jeff uh, Simpson's got, I'm sure, some. Some fun uh, news for us. I mean, there there is a story we won't get till to the second hour about what happens when you wake up with a skunk in your bed. What do you do? Like, what do you do? What do you do when you're in the middle of that dream where you're just you know cuddling your cute little puppy in bed, and then you wake up and you find out it's a skunk? I don't. Th- I think the answer is nothing. You don't do anything or move away. Yeah. Yeah, you to do, a different you, home. You have two choices. You, you can run or just sit there. Just it's your choice. Keep cuddling. I'm not sure which one does not get you sprayed, but. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine anything worse? 
waking up with – I mean, I'd rather – we've told stories about the bear that – uh, you know, or a mountain lion. Yeah, or a mountain or, lion. I'd almost yeah. rather wake up with anything but a skunk. <laughs> Even the bear would be. I mean, at least you just smell like a wet bear. It almost seems like you can recover from some sort of wound from a yeah. wild animal. Wounds heal. Then they like the spray. Yeah. Yeah. Embarrassment, the psychological impact, being sprayed by a skunk in your own bed. We'll My wounds that. don't heal, though. Your wound, apparently. Your, yeah, yours is slowly. Yours is like a slow heal. What's up with that? It's age. the mood leg. Sage. It's the mood leg. You get a certain age, a certain uh, age you're, you're not getting the same oh, sort of true. circulation to your yeah. extremities. It's, it's early onset diabetes. It's a, it oh, boy. It's a great point. Uh, I won't – I mean I already shared with you some of the gruesome details, but let's just say I've had to take matters into my own let's hands. Let's just say you've been you've, – there's been a sloughing issue. Is he cutting out the bad? Is that what's happening? He's, yeah. Okay. He's slowly – he asked me to cut it off, cut the whole thing off, cut the whole leg off. Oh, wow. It was, Mac, like, it was like you Vietnam. couldn't do it. I couldn't, you couldn't do it. It's a little extreme. No, I just thought it's not. No, you're still. It still wiggles. Your foot still works. Let's not cut it off yet. And it's you don't even have black toe. Uh, we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on around the country? Hundreds of people gathered at the site of a the fatal crash in Charlottesville, Virginia, to honor the victim. Victims of uh, one day after the white supremacist rally turned violent. Heather Heyer, 32, was killed when a man. With uh, reported alt-right ties, drove his car into a crowd of anti-fascism protesters at the White Nationalist Rally on Saturday. As we all know, a vigil initially planned for the University of Virginia was canceled because of a credible threat from uh, different groups in the area, organizers said in a press release. A crowd later formed at the crash site to memorialize hire and uh, honor those injured in the incident. Um, they lit candles, they sang songs, that kind of stuff. Hmm. The vigil is one of dozens held across the country, along with protests against the the uh, events of the weekend and the, the rally itself. Um, U.S. top generals plan to meet with the president of South Korea uh, today, just days after its counterpart. Donald Trump said military options against North Korea were locked and loaded. General Joseph Dunford, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, will meet with senior military officials in North, uh, South Korea, along with the, their, the South Korean president, he will head to China next on a previously scheduled visit, citing an unidentified military official. Mm. Probably in uniform, since he was a military official. Yeah, but unidentified. The study I uh, found very interesting. American workplace is grueling, stressful, and surprisingly hostile. Oh, yeah. So concludes the in radio? Could no, be. that's not right. Not here. So concludes the stu- in-depth study of 3,000 U.S. workers by the RAND Corporation, Harvard Medical School, and the University of California, Los Angeles. Among the findings, one in five workers share this, shared in the study, they called this disturbingly high, say that they face a hostile or threatening work environment, which can include sexual harassment and bullying. Oh, wow. Workers who have to face customers uh, endure a disproportionate share of abuse. What number? One in one? One in five. Wow, 20%. Is that why it's it's so secure in this building? We don't let anybody in. No, yeah. We've got, well, that and we have broadcasting capabilities. Yeah. Nearly 55% say they face unpleasant and potentially hazardous conditions. Wow, really? Nearly three quarters say they spend at least a fourth of their time on the job in intense or repetitive physical labor. And it says, I was surprised how physically demanding jobs were, says the lead author from uh, Harvard Medical School. Well, so three quarters say their their job is intensive or repetitive physical labor. I have that, and it's hot. Mine's hostile because Jeff wears those short shorts and shows us his leg injury right. all the time. I mean, that seems aggressive. 
Even, even, <laughs> even though there's a lot of buzz around it, telecommuting yeah. is very rare. 78% say they're required to be present in their workplace during working hours. Well, yeah. What, what percentage? This is 70, called work. 78%. It's, it's like they're complaining that about work. I mean, yeah, they yeah, got to yeah. show up? Yeah. Hold it. And 88 out of 10 people say they have to actually work only, when working. Only 38% say their jobs offer good prospects for advancement. Okay, yeah, that's depressing. And the older they get, the less optimistic they become. Oh, boy. About half say their work, their work they work on their own time, or they work on their own time to meet the demands of their job. Really? Meaning they yeah. work outside like the office That's you. to accomplish their job. That's you. Oh, yeah. Six out of ten people say they can't even watch Netflix. Uh, work is pretty taxing <laughs> place for many people. Uh, they were surprised how pressured and hectic the workplace is. In many cases, less educated workers endure tougher working conditions. For example, fewer than half of men without a college degree can take a break whenever they want to, compared to more than 76% of men with college degrees. What? Wow. So we we lot, can't take a break. We have we have a lot of degrees in this room, and we can't take a break when we want to. We also can't say we're going to take a break. Yeah, that would be improper. That is a that great too. point. Likewise, nearly 68% of men without degrees spend at least a fourth of their time moving heavy loads. Mm. Get a degree. Well, it really does make you understand that uh, how blessed you might be to have the job you have. I mean, because it start, that whole thing started out with bullying and hostile work and harassment that's that's one thing but again if you're paid to work then work isn't hostile right like i mean if you're being well, like that, digging that, a hole yeah that's not hostile yeah. but the guy yelling at you oh yeah yeah that's hostile or again the guy in the short shorts yeah. showing us his leg injury right i'm not saying that to anybody i'm just you're a monster by the way, speaking of hostile work environments, today mm-hmm. uh, I've got to go do the thing I hate to do the most. What is the one thing that you guys know I hate to do the most? I hate it. Hmm. Not to use the word hate too much, but I hate it. Hmm. It, um, it involves a photo Get here shoot. by – oh, I was going to say get here by seven. Yeah, that I hate act, that. Too. Act pleasant? No, a photo shoot. Oh. I have a photo shoot. Do you get a smile? Yeah. Look pretty? Fake. I've got to fake a smile. Wear makeup? Wear makeup. What's the photo shoot for? It's for the TV thing that I do. Oh, well. Now, the makeup is actually the, the bright side of that for you. What do you mean? Well, that, I mean, that's... What do you mean? Of all the unpleasantries involved in the photo shoot, that's one that you don't mind as much. Well, I don't like makeup. I like dress up. Okay. Totally different. Hmm. I love playing dress up. You got to wear a jacket because you got to look authoritative. I don't know. I like wearing a jacket because it covers the fat, hmm. but... Uh, I don't know if they'll let me wear one today. What always amused me in other jobs I've had, I mean, sports radio, you, if yeah. you go to their websites, a lot of these radio stations, they put all their hosts in in like sports suit coach. jackets. Yeah. Because, look, we're the announcing team guys. You know, we wear jackets. We wear jackets. And then if they're doing their show, they're in like hoodies and shorts and flip-flops because right. they barely try. I know. But it made me shave today because usually Mondays is, is the no-shave day. Is this for BYU Radio or for your business? <sighs> no, for- yeah, it's for TV. It's for local TV here in Utah. Yeah. Hmm. So are you getting paid for this? No. Really? Is it for the photo shoot? No. Is it oh. part of being a contributor on that show? It's part of just looking good. So what are they going to do? Have your own page or something with all your – Kind of like that. and then they, But it's they do it every year. Hmm. Right. Tell you what. Why don't you hire your own photographer – you submit previews of the digital prints to the local television 
pro or show show and then say now you can choose this one this one or this one and uh, they'll cost you this much sounds like a lot of work that but, sounds like a lot of but work. you get some money why don't you just give them the one on the on our website where you're kind of fake talking into a microphone with headphones on with a jacket while on. wearing a jacket yeah. where's your agent why don't you get me on I, the phone and I'll I'll act as your agent and say Matt doesn't step through the door for at least two grand. <laughs> do that again. Can Matt ain't gonna step through the door unless he's getting two grand. It's like Pluto. Yeah, you're my. It sounds just like Mo Pluto. It's crazy. You are going to. You might be my new agent. There Jeffrey we go. Jeffrey Liam Simpson. No, they, a whole different name. And like Manny. Yeah, Manny Rabinowitz. There you go. Is that one of our law firms that sponsors our show? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, uh, oh gosh, what is that? Uh, it's Pepion, Pepion, and Leibowitz. Oh, yeah, that's a great law firm. <laughs> Such a great law firm. Oh, brother, so much to talk about, so much to do. Well, up next, our very first uh, guest, of course, Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him. He's our Washington insider. Hopefully he can make sense of what's going on politically behind uh, this whole, you know, lack of response or, you know, slow response from President Trump. Why isn't he just jumping all over this uh, neo-Nazi alt-right movement? I think that's exactly what it's called. I think we just nailed it. Joe Cannon, up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Okay, friends, uh, Joe Cannon, it's time to bring in Joe in the know. Joe is our Washington insider. He doesn't love that title, but he he does know what's going on a lot of times uh, behind the scene. He has some interesting insights. He used to be a chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was also a candidate for U.S. Senate, and served under uh, the Reagan administration underneath the EPA back then. Also was an editor of the Deseret News and uh, is currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization which uh, is doing what everything it can to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We like to have Joe on the show just to hopefully make sense of some of the things that are going on politically. Joe, how are you today? Good, Matt. Thank you. How are you doing? You know, fine. Just uh, try to take a have a weekend without watching any of the news, and then all of a sudden, this crazy attack. Now, the Jeff Sessions, by the way, is finally coming. He's coming out saying it was an evil attack in Charlottesville where a person, you know, drives their car into a crowd of people, kills one person, and then the, everyone's frustrated with the president of the United States. Why... Why do you think um, the president isn't, you know, pushing back against these neo-Nazis, the alt-right? What is it? What's he afraid of? Well, I think to start with, he, uh, you know, he made his first comments. And I, I, I can't, it's just an odd coincidence that I'm, I'm driving uh, to go visit my mom and uh, listening to CNN. Hmm. Right after, right after the president's remarks, and CNN said, "Oh, horrible! He didn't address things. He, you know, it was totally negative." Yeah. And then they went to an advertising break, so I switched to Fox. Man, the president just gave a thoughtful, interesting, speech. 
it was like I didn't hear the speech by the way. I didn't I didn't hear any of the words. I only heard those two. The response, so then, huh? So, yeah. So then later I listened to the the remarks and and I I think kind of the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he clearly you know condemned the attacks, but then he also couldn't help himself. I guess don't know in 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 trying to say, look, there are a lot of pe- a lot of people at fault here. Now, since that moment, he and the White House and everybody else has gone out of their way, including you mentioned the the Attorney General, yeah, uh, being pretty, you know, pretty strong on attacking the uh, neo-Nazi uh, white supremacist movement. And what's interesting is, you know, you've had lots of Republicans, I think, because they were a little bit embarrassed by the president's kind of. Uh, response came out. I mean, usually you wouldn't think of Senator Hatch as somebody who would take to the ramparts on this, but he gave a very, honestly, a very powerful uh, statement. I mean, you know, he said, look, my brother didn't die fighting the Nazis. Mm. We could could, uh, have a reprise of uh, Nazism here in the United States. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't hear that. That's interesting. And there are a lot of of other Republicans who are saying, look, we have to be unequivocal. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a stunning now, event. I mean, it, in and of itself, it was yeah. a, just a, a horrific thing. But it opened to me. It opens up a can of I don't want to say worms, but a can. It opens up a tremendous number of issues, or at least it sheds light on a whole bunch of issues. Anyway, so, I cut you off. You're going to my, no. My my assumption is so. Um, you know, he's always fairly calculating, President Trump is, and many, many claimed that he he didn't push back against neo-Nazi support during his election and campaign. Um, and so it, it all, and then the whole Steve Bannon issue uh, and the alt-right issue that we heard about right when Steve Bannon was be, was being put into his um, as a special advisor. So, I mean, how much of this is is, is he just trying – does he actually receive enough support from the alt-right to make this a, a, something that he he's not fighting against? Is it a political positioning thing? Is it did he just miss the opportunity? What do you think it is behind it? Yeah, you know it's funny. I asked myself that same question this weekend. How many alt right people, so called alt right people, are there? How many right. Nazi extremists are there? And is that a political group A that you even want to be associated with? Which, he, to be fair, he has increasingly distanced himself since the campaign right. against them. But but also, is it even a political body worth it. Now, if you're on the left, everybody on the right is all right and Nazi. I mean, one of the things that really has irritated me is the number of people are saying like, okay, this, you know, the NRA, every right winger is just like these all right people. Hmm. So that's right. That's not right. And there've been a number of, you know, the daily cause and Vox and some of the other very leftist, uh, uh, organs have been saying, you know, trying to paint the entire right as that. And this sort sort of plays into their narrative. I think, though, in reality, um, I'm just not sure how big that that group is. But it's definitely violent, and they've definitely now said uh, these, these neo Nazis have said we're going to do more of this. And for me, what what I just reflecting on this, and I'm not equating any of these particular cases, but if you look in the last few years 
of various outbreaks of violence, what I see kind of in, uh, emerging is a sort of tribalism where you've got uh, people, you know, certain different identities that are angry, and they're angry enough to either go directly to violence or come to the very edge of violence. This has happened on some campuses. This happened in the wake of, of a number of the police shootings of black people. Uh, so without getting into the merits of those things, but riots were sparked. And another issue that kind of emerges out of this is that in, if you think of one of the allegations by both the left and the right in Charlottesville is the um, inaction of the police that on both sides they say the police should have gotten involved harder and earlier than their allegations that the police were told to stand down by the mm. political folks. The, the, uh, Terry McAuliffe and the mayor have re, you know, rejected that. They said they didn't do that. But there's, there's enough there. For, clearly the police didn't. I mean, you could see the scenes of the police not acting the way you normally think police would act. But then the same thing was true in Ferguson and Baltimore. The, the, the police seem to be on the sidelines, at least in, initially in a lot of these cases, maybe allowing the violence to go forward. So I know there are a lot of issues that make me a little, a little bit nervous. Yeah, that. it's, a, it's a, a tense time, isn't it, in the country? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember in the 60s, the mid to late 60s, there were tremendous uh, race riots in the country. Uh you know, for for various various reasons, starting from Watts, where I uh, I didn't live in Watts, but I lived in Los Angeles, uh, all the way to Detroit, to uh, Cleveland, to Harlem, uh, and I remember as a young teenager being kind of afraid of this lawlessness, and now though it seems like it's very, we're maybe on the cusp of even more lawlessness. Mm. Boy, do you sense um, there will be any shift in the in the White House? I mean, we hear I've I've heard that maybe that maybe Bannon will be uh, on his way out to he and his paper Breitbart and other uh, things that he's done. And he's having battles with McMaster. Um, is is do you sense anything about Bannon's future at uh, the White House? Well, I don't know. He uh, has, a, has a thousand lives, it appears, but uh, uh, something clearly is going on between uh, the Bannon forces and McMaster. Yeah. How much of that is personal, I, you know, I, I, of course I don't know, but it's, it's clear that there's a flock of conservative uh, um, flack that's going against McMaster. How much of that is actually triggered by Bannon? I, you know, I don't know. Scaramucci but, came out talking about it. The Mooch, uh, maybe yeah. that he, that also Bannon's one of the leakers as well. Right. And the, the, um, uh, the other thing that's happened is, is that General Kelly, the chief of staff, has sort of made it known uh, that he's still looking at further shakeups in the White House. Uh, now, how that is connected to, McMaster Bannon fight, don't, don't know. Mm, interesting. Um, expect it'll emerge over the next uh, little while, but 
there's there's not nothing going on. That's yeah. One thing is is clear that there's a lot of smoke around this issue. It seems like um, so that's one kind of smoky uh, possible fire burning. Another one is North Korea, uh, who's been threatening Guam. I mean, Japan now is on alert. What do you think about this escalation um, around North Korea, and how do you think the president's handled that? Well, now that is is. To me, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, he's clearly made some strong statements. Yeah, you know, starting with like, like fire and fury, backwards like fire and fury, and then locked and loaded. But then you hear uh, the uh, Mattis and uh, Tillerson both saying, "Oh, we, hey, we're all on the same page on this." And then they make statements that are that seem geared more toward. Uh, diplomacy. So I'm, I, I'm wondering if actually we're not seeing a kind of a Trump strategy at work here where he he says things that rattle uh, Un, Kim Jong-un, and but then throughout the whole rest of the system is working on uh, di- diplomacy, which, by the way, seems to be working. I mean, uh, uh, China just announced today that they were going to... Um, uh, not, they're, they're going to stop taking shipments of uh, pig iron and lead mm. and some other things. From it's in, a, in a way, its own sanction um, from so China. I, wow! From yeah, yeah, China said you know basically, um, yeah, they're going to ban imports of iron ore, iron, lead, and coal from North Korea, which is you know critical. Uh, economic th- th- that's one of the big sources of Korea's economic growth is its trade with China uh, since it can't trade with many other places so I think that's an interesting signal that you probably have multiple you certainly have multiple layers of um, of uh, uh, di- diplomacy yeah going on behind and, the and scenes huh? nobody, nobody wants I mean it's just so complicated if this were not complicated, it would have been solved a long time ago. But clearly, you can't just go in and bomb, or maybe somebody would have already done that. Right. Or at least, the, or at least the threat of that would have been sufficient to to change things. But you've got this whole this divided peninsula. You got roughly 25 million people on each side of the border, and uh, the South Koreans are incredibly vulnerable to. Forget about nuclear bombs, just any kind of bombs, and a massive North Korean army uh, just just coming a few miles across the border to Seoul. Mm. Uh, and uh, no one no one wants that. No one wants a nuclear war. So I think the Chinese are very sensitive to their position in the region, and I think that's a stunning diplomatic move to to say, okay, we're not going to we're not going to import these items. Yeah. Because it almost looked like the United States and President Trump, they were moving on. At first, it looked like they were trying to get China to throw its weight that way and, and get you know something, some movement against North Korea. But then uh, it just seemed like President Trump just kind of kept pushing it on his own and almost forced the hand of China. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we might be seeing a fairly sophisticated uh, approach here. Yeah, good cop, bad cop, but it's moving yeah, something. Uh, I doubt that China moved because of, you know, blusterous remarks. I think the blusterous remarks were aimed at at North Korea itself. And then you had a lot of diplomacy going on, as always happens. I mean, we we 
don't know, maybe won't know forever, <laughs> all the different diplomatic moves that are going on there. But it's clear nobody wants anybody to launch a nuclear missile anywhere. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, uh, including the Japanese, including the Chinese. Uh, um, it's Boy, that's an interesting point, because we've we've heard over and over that maybe the State Department underneath uh secretary tillerson is secretary of state tillerson is it's it's not as powerful as it used to be we also are seeing that more and more people are um are not wanting to take kind of the forest service exam i guess it's dropped 26 percent uh so it doesn't seem to be as desirable of a job um it, how do you think secretary tillerson's doing well i uh, again, I don't know, but it seems like uh, he's doing a pretty good job on this particular issue on the on the North Korea situation. He, something seems to be something's working. happening right at, behind at the, the scenes at the diplomatic level. Um, so you know, there must be some folks there that are still doing their jobs and interested in doing their jobs. And um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's uh, he Tillerson has a, a pretty good. You know, hand on the on the steering wheel there, um, but it is true. Lots of people are dispirited at the at the State Department. That's that's clearly true. Something's going on there, isn't there? Well, Joe, let's uh, let's continue the discussion in just a minute, and we'll come back and talk about Trump and McConnell. There's a little feud going on there between the president and the Senate. Apparently, the Senate. Not uh, not very capable right now of getting anything passed on uh, on Obamacare or health care. We'll talk about that. Is there another shot at Obamacare repeal? All of that straight ahead with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We are talking politics here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143. And uh, joining us is, of course, Joe Cannon. We call him Joe in the know. He he just is a he's a he's an insider. He hates the term, but he just knows people. He's back in D.C. regularly and he's talking to the people in the know. It uh, doesn't mean he knows everything that's going on, but he does have a lot of insight. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that is trying to lower the fuel costs for all of us here in the United States. And, Joe, we appreciate you, you being with us. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Matt. Um, okay, there's a battle going on between uh, Trump and McConnell. Um, McConnell, who's over the Senate, Senate Majority Leader, and um, – the, I guess part of the battle is McConnell has a hard time getting, you know, the senators to vote for Obamacare or vote against uh, or vote for repeal kind of in replace of Obamacare. And yet McConnell's sitting here arguing that President Trump in his inexperience keeps setting these fake deadlines. He keeps he's not he's not out there trying to sell any any other option. What uh what do, you, what do you see? What do you see going on between oh, the uh, Senate Majority Leader and the President? Well, I really hate to be seen as a defender of the swamp these days. <laughs> but but uh, well, let me say first, it's important. I, I think this isn't one of those things where the President 
just went crazy and decided to attack the Senate for some reason. This was actually sparked by McConnell himself, who mm. apparently gave a speech to some Rotary Club in Kentucky, I guess. And, and he, you know, said, you know, I think the first shot was sort of fired by McConnell and then, and then the president became President Trump and did his, you know, did his tweet thing. Uh, <laughs> started going tweet uh, crazy. On, on, uh, on McConnell. Uh, it, 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 again, I don't want to be too much of a defender of the swamp, but McConnell is in a horrible position, and I'm not sure he he rightly gets the blame for inaction on health care. You have you know, probably several pairs of two or three senators, some of whom don't like the president very much, like, like Senator McCain, who at any given time can scuttle the health care. Yeah, it's not just it's not just the three. Who, <clears throat> excuse me, who did it already? There are other sets of three, even on the right. You have, uh, you know, you have Cruz, Lee, and uh, man, Senator Paul, who have their own issues. Then you've got Senator Portman. You've got Senator Heller. You've got a whole several sets of people who can scuttle this bill. The problem is really, and, and I don't understand why either. Uh, McConnell or the president aren't saying, wait a second, there are 48 senators, all of whom are Democrats, 100 percent of whom voted against health care reform, including eight to 10 senators who live in uh, states that supported Donald Trump. Hmm. And uh, it seems to me that, that, that uh, instead of just going, you know, setting up a circular firing squad on the Republican side, that I don't know why both McConnell and the president are not saying, look, in 2018, you've got probably eight senators up that are in states that the president won pretty handily. And they all, 100%, every one of those eight voted against uh, changing Obamacare. Mm. It seems like if you think this is such a potent issue politically, uh, why not go after after those senators? I, I don't know, but it seems to me there's, uh, it's a, it's a little difficult to blame a guy who only has 52 senators and not all of whom are aligned um, uh, ideologically right. for failure to, you know, to, to pass things. Well, and McConnell – oh, go ahead, Joe. Uh, just, just one point in, in McConnell's favor. I mean that, that almost everybody who supported Trump said, well, we love what he did with the Supreme Court by getting uh, Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. That would never have happened, hmm. but for the resoluteness of Senator McConnell in saying we're not going to vote, we the Senate, we're not going to have a vote on Garrett, uh, Garrett McFarland. Uh, yeah, what was his name? Um, uh, I'm sorry, how embarrassing. No, I, yeah. It went uh, out of my head. Oh, yeah. I'll go look but it anyway, up. On the, yeah. On the Democrat, on the, on the Democrat uh, Obama nominee, McConnell said, no, we're not holding hearing, we're not holding vote. And that preserved the opportunity for President Trump to even name a uh, conservative to the to the court. I think a lot of people in Washington attribute that directly and almost solely to Senator McConnell's um, uh, efforts. So, yeah, you know, I I think why don't we, why don't these guys figure out a way to play together to get stuff done that they can't get done, and just admit that there's some things that can't get done. When you've got this razor thin uh, majority in the Senate, it, it's Merrick Garland, by the way, 
Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know why. No, I know that's that it up. slipped my mind too. It it seems like um boy there it's there's something about the president maybe not fully understand because he keeps acting like he's going to you know throw a bunch of the of, of his of the GOP senators out. I mean he's after Senator Flake, he's after he's threatening a lot of senators if they want to be reelected you better go my way. But it also seems like there there needs to be the pres- a unification between McConnell and the president because doesn't the president need to go out and sell the issue nationally? Um, and it seems like President Obama took a bigger role in in being the pitch man for the what was going on in the Senate and with Congress. Isn't that also missing? Um, you know it. It could be. It could be, though, that the president is thinking of running against, in 2020, running against the, quote, do-nothing Congress. Maybe, uh. maybe that's a strategy. I don't, I don't know that. But let me just say, not to make too much of a pun, there is a little bit of a strange subplot to this, and that is, is that President Trump endorsed Luther Strange, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Alabama senator who replaced uh, – uh, Senator Sessions, and and he is also endorsed by McConnell against two other candidates who are avowedly, absolutely pro-Trump, hmm. uh, and, and that's received kind of some some interesting comments. So now at one level, uh, maybe it's I don't think it's an accident. I think most things like this are not accidents. Um, the president did endorse. Senator Strange, who is also has the support of Senator McConnell. So I, I don't know how this game is going to play out in 2020, but I really think the game should be aimed at 2018 and and what the Republicans are going to do with respect to uh, the Senate. Boy, does um, first of all, do you think a senator should really have the name Strange? Senator Strange seems ironic. Um, <laughs> it does, it does, yeah. Boy, the, the, that's what I, I love about having. Go ahead, Joe. Apparently, that's, a, that's, a, that's an old political name in, in Alabama. So. Oh, is it? How strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it really, uh, Joe, that's why I like your insight, because behind everything we see going on, there's there's these political like machinations and um, what what do you think? There is a lot of talk, a lot of scuttle. Is there anything to it? I don't know how it would work about Vice President Pence. You know, having it forming his own pack is—is he actually going to run against the president? Is there anything to that? I personally think there is nothing to that, and that is actually based on some conversations with folks near the uh, near Pence world. Uh, I think he his uh, biggest political capital for himself is supporting President Trump, and I think anything to undermine that. Would be uh, uh, deadly. To yeah, him. suicide. Yeah. I, just, I just don't see that he would do that. On the other hand, he, you know, he's a political guy. He, he was uh, served in Congress. He served as a governor. Uh, all of his staff are very political guys. He just switched chiefs of staff, and his new chief of staff is a very kind of up and coming, very very smart, savvy political guy. So, uh, and Pence is young enough that. I think he is tending to his political capital, hmm. but I doubt very much that a, that an element of that is to set himself up in, in distinction in any way 
to uh, to the president. And I guess, too, you just got to see, I mean, who knows what would come out of the Russia investigations there. I mean, they are now throwing down um, warrants. They're they're doing they have a, a grand jury. I mean, it seems like they're getting pretty serious. Right. There, there's nothing wrong with the vice president sort of laying the groundwork for his own political future. I think that is happening. And I think it, I heard one commentator over the weekend say it's probably be political malpractice not to be paying attention to what your future is going to be. I just personally doubt very, very strongly that an element of that is any sort of internecine warfare mm. in the White House. I mean, at, at that level, things seem to be pretty tied between close between uh, the president and the vice president. I mean, the, the president's liaison to Congress, a guy named Mark Short, is a Pence guy. And, you know, that he that seems to be working pretty well. And I just don't see an internecine fight here. But that's not to say that any any politician of any stripe from city council to the vice president isn't going to be looking to the to his or her future. Yeah. Joe, we have about a minute left. What what else are we missing? What should we be paying attention to other than the Dodgers, of course? Well, the Dodgers are on the verge of being the best team maybe in the history of Major League Baseball. But uh, I think kind of a, an un, I don't know how underreported it is, but I think the whole it, there's an interesting issue about Google firing this guy who yeah. wrote a politically incorrect uh, memo. And, uh, you, you know, I just I think keeping watch on that and what's going on in corporate America with respect to speech codes and uh, – and, uh, you know, uh, political philosophy could, could be an interesting story going forward. Yeah, yeah. And the quality of, of speech in these organizations, especially an organization as large as Google, with so much marketing power and so much ability to sway, to sway the search engines. Joe, we appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for all you do. Keep up the great work there at uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Anybody that wants more information about what uh, fuelfreedom.org is doing, go to the website, fuelfreedom.org. Lowering your costs, your fuel costs here in the United States. And Joe Cannon is at the head of that battle for us. So we'll continue the journey and, uh, you know, straighten things out when we can. We'll come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world and, most importantly, be the good in the world. So an eclipse it will be here in just a, about a week from right now. We'll be able to... Allegedly. I'm not yeah. buying this. Well, again, you don't know because I'm worried that the eclipse, everybody just thinks it's going to be this great thing to go watch. Apparently, it's going to shut down traffic all through Bozeman or Montana, yeah. uh, Idaho, towns, Wyoming. Towns, towns with not enough roads for all the cars that will show up. The yeah. bigger problem is that some people may go blind. You're not supposed to look at it. Don't look at it. I think Terry's just a little bitter he didn't get his glasses in time. That too. Oh. Went down to the uh, eye doctor. They said, hey, we got glasses. You walk in, no glasses. What? That's a bait and switch. But you can buy these really nice 
Ralph Lauren glasses. If now, you want. Amazon is refunding people their glasses because they found out, okay, these ones won't work. They're also, people are very concerned because they're ordering glasses and they're outraged that, that they're going to get to them bef- after. Well, how do you know if they're the, the right glasses and what happens if you There's don't wear them? There's some process. It's difficult. Okay. People just want to buy and click. They don't want to actually look into things. But um, there is a doctor from uh, Dr. Joseph uh, Sosny from uh, Penn State. Mm-hmm. He warns that Looking at the eclipse at all could damage your eyes. He says, normally the sun is too bright to look at, protecting your eyes from damage, but the eclipse, the partial coverage of the moon, allows some of the white light to be blocked. The red spectrum can come through, which can burn the retina. There's no safe amount of time to look at the sun during a solar eclipse without proper eye protection. And uh, it says, how quickly the damage occurs depends on how much of the sun is visible. Right after being burned, there is swelling in the retina. The scarring and disruption of vision can result. Some restoration could occur over time, but it isn't a sure thing. Mm. So it goes, kids in particular are in danger as they view the solar eclipse and shouldn't be left unsupervised. They have a tendency to look over the glasses and may not look through the glasses as they need to. Uh, The point is if you feel pain or smell smoke burning, any burning sensation – Go inside. He also said it might not be a bad idea just to keep the kids inside and watch the eclipse on the NASA website. Great point. This Great is point. how the zombie apocalypse begins, by the way. Oh, boy. Just, just picture that the scene in Indiana Jones when all the faces melt. Same damage wow. a laser pointer can do to your eyeball. Ooh. Okay. As a point of reference. Terry, Everybody. don't worry. If you missed this one, there's another one in seven years. I'll be fine. Oh, boy. Up next, a whole new hour, folks. We're going to be talking spam. You won't want to miss it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Spamorific. Spamalicious. Today we're talking spam this hour. Well, I thought you were reading from the dictionary there for no. a second. Oh, no. Spam, by the way... Uh, it's it's one of America's greatest brands, according to our next guest. Hmm. We're going to be talking about how Spam became one of the most iconic American brands of all time. Did you know that uh, during World War II, it, it was not only a staple, but was it World War II? Yeah, World War II was not only a staple, but they, they used it to um, to waterproof their boots. Really? The Spam grease. Oh. Can you imagine this? Just the smell? And the bugs. Hmm. Yes! Little weird owl for you. And uh, you gotta love spam. And if you don't, then you're not American. Or, or Hawaiian, by the way. I've never tasted spam. Are you serious? I I'd be willing to try some. it. I'd be willing to try it on the air. It's, uh, it's we a, made a mistake. It's today. in the family of other sort of mystery meats. Yeah, but there's spam. There's Vienna sausage. Oh yeah. There's the canned corned beef. What exactly is that? It's it's corned beef. Is it? There's the pot o meat that you'll find at mm. some stores. I mean, what is that? I didn't know corn could make beef. Oh yeah. Oh, corn's making beef all over the Midwest. Hmm. I know that beef ate corn. Yeah. And then it turned on it. Yeah. Pretty obvious. <laughs> the one that always baffles me is canned chicken. But why? why? I don't know. I just, I mean, there's tuna, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff that's canned chicken meat. Chicken of the like, sea. 
Like like chicken chunks. It just seems sort of a weird thing to can, but yeah, I don't know. Chicken chunks. Uh, spam is more than just you know another meat. You're treating it like it's just another pseudo. It's like Casi Carne, it's one of our Velveeta great sponsors of, of the show. Yeah, it's a Velveeta of meat. No, it's it's bigger than that. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. It's from Hormel. It's one of the biggest brand movements ever in the history of Americana. It nothing says America more than spam. Oh, and McDonald's, right? And Coca Cola mm. to just to drop a few brands. By the way, over the weekend, I watched the movie The Founder. Yes, oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's a good, good one. Movie. It's yeah. a good movie, but I'm, I'm now, I don't know. I'm kind of mad at McDonald's now. So at the end, is the founder a scumbag that's or is he a, a smart business He's man? a genius in my opinion. Well, he is a genius, except now I, I'm having a hard time wanting to pull in there. I mean, I will. I'll pull in to McDonald's because – Open your arteries. Give it a full embrace. Give it a f- – <laughs> he, he, They certainly portray Ray Kroc as this weasel, but – yeah. As Terry alluded to, he may have been a genius or at least somebody with a great vision that these two brothers just didn't have. Well, right. Yeah. And um, would McDonald's really be here without a Ray Kroc? I'd say no. I don't think so. I say that's a Kroc. <laughs> a Kroc-O-Ray. So we, thank you. We're here all day. We're here all day. Try the... The veal? Try the veal. <laughs> Or the spam. I was going to say try the veal, but nobody <laughs> wants to try the veal. So today we're talking spam. We've got uh, also empty news that will be coming up. Uh, what to do when you wake up in bed with a skunk. Yeah. I mean, there's what to do. There's what not to do. Life lessons. Life lessons. The, right. the things you get on this show that you won't get on any other show. And also fine dining stemmed from a bag of chips mm. that I'm very familiar with. Really? As are the two of you, I'm sure. Chips. Well, remember that trip you took where you, you bought that giant oh, uh-huh. jug of puffs of, uh-huh. that you... Uh-huh. That I only could... I don't know how you were driving while eating them with that big tub on no, your lap. No, you just, you, just, yeah, you just drive with your knees. It's, it was knee driving. <laughs> but I was only going like 80 miles an hour. Plus, they're puffs, so it's, yeah. it acts as an airbag, too. But I only... It was amazing to me how few of those puffs I actually ate. I only ate probably a tenth of the big mega jar. Well, it's a big mega jar. Yeah, but I only ate a tenth of it. Yeah, but if you had like a normal size, say, family bag of of cheese puffs, it would have been the entire bag. Not a two-year supply bag. I think the rule of thumb is any food that you eat that turns your hands orange, when, when it turns your hands orange, that's when you stop. Unless you're a Trump. Then your hands are exactly the color they should be. Just throwing that out there. Wow. We'll get to all of that fun, of course. Uh, but first, to the national headlines with Terry South. Terry, inform us, what should we be paying attention to today? Attorney General Jeff Sessions called late Saturday for a federal investigation into racially triggered, uh, tinged violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. The violence and deaths at the Charlottesville strike at the heart of American law and justice, Sessions stated. When such actions arise from racial bigotry and hatred, they betray our core values and cannot be tolerated. I have talked with the FBI director, FBI agents on the scene, and law enforcement officials in the state of Virginia. The FBI has been supporting state and local authorities throughout the day. U.S. Uh, Attorney Rick Mountcastle has commented or commenced a federal investigation and will have the full support of the Department of Justice. Justice way, will prevail, Session says. We didn't mention that two police officers also died in a crash. So That's three right. deaths from the day. They were in a uh, helicopter, helicopter that was kind of doing 
surveillance around the area, just kind of watching things, Tragic supporting day the, in Virginia. the officers on the ground. A central focus of the Justice Department probe will be the, uh, what eyewitnesses describe as a deliberate vehicle attack on a crowd of anti-racist demonstrators. Authorities have uh, made an arrest of a man from Ohio who is the uh, owner of the car, who they're saying is sus- you know suspected of driving the car, but it was him. Yeah. Um, he injured 19 Ugh. One woman died, 32-year-old uh, paralegal from uh, Heather Heyer from that uh, city in Virginia. At least 15 other people were wounded. Three other men were arrested on assorted charges related to the protest. So it was an active, uh, eventful weekend. Did you hear about the, the recent announcement on CNN that uh, the CEO of Merck, who was on Trump's manufacturing council, just quit because of his failure to condemn oh. white supremacy? That'll happen. Done. Uh, and he's an African-American leader, Kenneth Frazier. Gone. He's just, I'm not going to play unless you deal with this. In other news, a continuation of a story that happened several weeks ago. Uh, 17 undocumented immigrants found in the back of an 18-wheeler in South Texas on Sunday. Ugh. Family members reported the smuggling operation to police. Those found inside the trailer included, included immigrants from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and Romania. Hold it. Romania. Romania. Hold it. So... Snuck in, Romanian snuck in through the south border. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're, oh, wow. None were injured, whereas before we had several people dead. They were, in the but they were, the were they locked in the back of the truck? And yeah. then somebody found the trailer. Yeah, they're getting medical attention at the moment. <sighs> Problems continue that way. Roughly 60 employees, both current and former, are mulling, uh, filing a class action lawsuit against, the, against Google. Uh, accusing him of sexism, income inequality, according to the Guardian, James Feinberg, civil rights attorney, handled the handling the possible legal action, said that the women claimed to earn significantly less in terms of salaries, bonuses, stock options than their male counterparts, despite comparable qualifications and jobs. When men bring in higher base salary and stock options, the big initial disparity turns into a larger and larger disparity every year as their stock options continue to grow. Hmm. Feinberg says other employees describe a culture that is hostile to women, which impedes their chances for career growth. Really? So last week you have... We have the guy that... The the renegade that writes the manifesto thing. And they're dealing with that. And now they're possibly dealing with a 60-plus woman class action lawsuit. Dealing with hiring practices, so Google's under fire. Interesting. We'll see what happens with Google, Google. Fire. Yeah. Oh, that's Amazon Fire. That's, Amazon oh, that's fire. a great tool. Finally, uh, your next cruise. Yeah, you're thinking about going on a cruise. I love cruising. The Norwegian Cruise Line uh, has a, a new boat. Well, vessel is their. Oh yeah. Uh, it'll be completed next April. It'll be one of the ten largest cruise vessels in the world. According to USA Today, the company shared details about the ship, revealing that it will have a two-deck high racetrack where passengers can face off in electric go-karts. Ooh. It'll be a first for a ship based in North America. There's other ships that have a similar feature in the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line, yeah, apparently. Yeah. But So you'll have a racetrack. It might be something you want to try out. It will also have an open-air laser tag course, multi-story water slides with loops that go out over the side of the ship, and uh, hot tubs that float over the side of the ship have that glass bottom. So oh, you so you could, that, yeah, you, know. you could see the 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 whales. Oh. They'll have expanded water features right now. Those are only on the Royal Caribbean ships. The Norwegian Bliss will hold 4,000 passengers and will start off in Alaska before moving to the Caribbean in the winter. Wow. <gasps> We're going on a cruise next year. You We are? Well, not you we, and me. We are. I didn't wow. even know we were. Uh, uh, this is great. We're taking show the show to the seas. That way we can say whatever we want. I Oh, yeah, international waters? Yeah, no laws I really there. think we could do the show <laughs> on a cruise. 
I've been asked to go take a cruise, to go do a cruise. So if I go, wouldn't we have to take the whole team? Could be. Yeah. I, I think we condense it to one hour, though. Yeah. Why, um, why ruin a good cruise with our show? Well, and when you're on the water, a one-hour show actually translates to a three-hour show here on the land. Oh, yeah. It's like dog ears. Yeah. A three-hour tour. And that show was we only – We do a three-hour tour every day. Yeah. Three-hour tour, but the show was only 30 minutes long. Last week, there was a report out of a, a cruise ship in Europe. They, the people on board came off saying that they had curfew at like 8 p.m. every night because they what? had to turn off all the lights because they were afraid of pirates. That's right. They're afraid a pirate oh, that's try to board. Scary. Well, yeah. that, is it scary or does that make for a more intriguing cruise? That pirate was also cruise. like a year long cruise, wasn't it? That I, was a that probably. was a really was that the Disney cruise. Pirates crew? No, Pirates of the Caribbean cruise. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Now you got me scared about pirates. Yeah, be careful. Well, yeah, where are you going again? Mexico. Oh yeah, no, yeah. there's a lot of pirates down there. Yeah. yeah, they're mostly like holding blankets and they call them rum runners. jewelry and stuff, but. They're unsure. It's different. And they'll haggle with you. Yes. Nothing worse. I, I, I love when we went, we went on a cruise and they had a, a class you could take, like how to spot fake jewelry in port. Hmm. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Everyone's like biting the jewelry. This isn't real. Yeah. This is fake gold. Hey, um, Jeffrey likes uh, to – not doesn't like to. It's his job. He is in charge of uh, providing our empty news headlines. The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. And a bite of the apple. So, Jeff, uh, update us. What's going on in the empty news? Uh, what, what do we need to be paying attention to? Well, I'm just going to play this music here because I feel it's very fitting to this next story here. Mm. Do you enjoy Cheetos, Matt? Absolutely. Well, Frito-Lay is getting in on New York City's restaurant week by opening a pop-up eatery with a menu full of Cheetos-themed cuisine. Mm. The Spotted Cheetah opens its doors in Lower Manhattan for just three days next week. Some of the dishes on the three-course menu created by Chef Anne Burrell include Cheetos Crusted Fried Pickles, Mm-mm. Mac and Cheetos, and Cheetos Sweetos Crusted Cheesecake. Prices run from $8 to $22 per dish. Frito-Lay says recipes created by fans inspired the company to bring a full Cheetos culinary experience to life. The spotted cheetah is completely booked for its brief run that begins Tuesday. But Cheetos fans can add their names to an online wait list. The spotted cheetah. That sounds like a great restaurant. Yeah. How embarrassing is that? You know how you go into a restaurant and you can't get a table because it's all highfalutin and all that? Yeah. How embarrassing would it be to go into the Cheetos restaurant and you can't get a table? Yeah, sorry, sir. We're booked. We don't serve your kind here. You're going to have to go down to the Dorito Lounge. All You know what all you have what? to do? You just have to flash him a Cheeto that looks like... Uh, like a movie star. No. Uh, what, what was the name of that ape that they had to put down? Marumba or... Oh, uh, Harumba? Harumba. Uh, Harumba. Yeah. Is that Harumba? Just Har- Harumbe. 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 Just, like that? just flash him a Harumbe and he'll let you right in. Right, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> just flash him a Harumbe? <laughs> Instead of a 20, just like, it's flash like you're him a Harumbe. It's like taking his name in vain. Like no. Don't you remember the story totally we did do, about the Harumbe Cheeto? Re- but don't you remember that he's he's like, he's untouchable? Well, because he's dead. That's true. So he is untouchable. Yes. Great point. Anyway, uh, just thought you might enjoy that. I'm sorry to break the bad news to you that you won't be able to get a table. <sighs> That's a great name, though. But there's that online wait list. And who wouldn't want a Cheeto-crusted fried pickle? 
or Cheeto cheesecake? Mm. That is, I, I believe me, I go to the cheesecake factory every week mm-hmm. and wait in line for a while. But um, so I, I obviously love it. But I don't know that I would love a Cheeto Sweeto crusted cheesecake. Really? Would you? I mean, I've never had a Cheeto Sweeto. Cheetos, great. Cheesecake, great. Yeah. Why wouldn't that be a marriage made in heaven? Seems like a mix of the savory and the sugary sweet. I'll tell you something that's not savory. What? And you uh, teased this story before, but uh, have you ever had a skunk in your home? No. I've had a skunk skunk in my neighborhood. I could smell it in the neighborhood. So you've had one near your home. Yes. I have sometimes, and I, I couldn't tell if it was a skunk or if somebody was smoking an illegal substance. Yes, <laughs> which is something different than a yes. skunk. So there's this Connecticut boy who woke up to find a skunk in his bed. Jimmy, what are you doing in there? <laughs> Police say the 13-year-old was awoken in his upstairs bedroom by the skunk, which had climbed into the bed with him. Police say the skunk apparently got into the home when it Uh. climbed through a hole in a trash can and a resident brought the can inside. Oh, brother. Yes. So make sure that your trash cans are fully functional. Always check your trash. I mean, you hear about inmates that are trying to sneak out through the trash. Who wants to ever sneak in? Skunks? You don't think someone would want to sneak in, but a skunk would. Yeah. So – it's not clear how the skunk made its way to the boy's bed, but no one was happy about the outcome. I don't know who would be. Oh, boy. Except the skunk, maybe. Animal control responded to a call at about 6 a.m., and uh, police say an animal control officer arrived to the poignant smell of skunk. Oh. And then I was having a dream, and I was dreaming that mommy had bought me a puppy, and I was holding the puppy in my bed, and the next thing I woke up to this horrible smell. That sounds horrible. I wouldn't. Timmy. Would you describe that stench as poignant? Yeah. Well, I no. It's worse than that. Maybe I, pungent. I accidentally hit a skunk driving down a, a, a highway one night, and it sprayed you in retaliation. And my it? car smelled like skunk for days. For hmm. days, it was horrible. And so I can't imagine being in bed with the skunk. Well, uh, you're in luck. Why? Well, you might be in luck. Because one of our sponsors could help you out with that skunk-infested car. Well, let's, let's figure out how they could help. We here at Allstink believe in the importance of protecting your most valuable asset, your family. And that means protecting your most valuable sense, your sense of smell. That's why Allstink offers offensive comprehensive insurance. Now, what exactly does offensive comprehensive insurance cover? Let's say Aunt Edna stops by for a visit and removes her shoes. Believe it or not, the lingering bouquet from Aunt Edna's funky feet is covered. Or how about when it's April Fool's Day and your old college roommate sneaks in and hides an open can of tuna fish in your vent that you don't find for two weeks? That fishy foulness is covered. And if you've always been a stinky person yourself, go ahead and purchase our package anyway. Because Offensive Comprehensive also covers pre-existing conditions. If you're still unsure as to what this insurance covers, just remember, if it's offensive, we cover it. All Stinks Offensive Comprehensive Insurance. For when life stinks. Spam in the place where I live. 
you think of spam, you probably envision the dark blue can, don't you? With rounded edges and bright yellow lettering and the picture of the spam sandwich right on the front. Most people can picture it in their minds what uh, spam looks like. But even if you uh, even if you know you don't know that much about it, you got to know a few things. Spam first went on the supermarket shelves in 1937. Over eight million cans of spam have been sold in 44 countries around the world. So how did spam become so successful? And uh, spam is one of the greatest business success stories and also cultural phenomenon from the United States. It's got an interesting history. So here to talk to us about it is Ayala Ruvio. She's an expert in consumer behavior and is here to talk with us today about her research on Spam's successful journey. Ayala, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. First of all, what got you so interested in wanting to study Spam? Well, I'm a consumer behavior researcher. I also teach in our MBA executive program at uh, Michigan State University. And the people that attend those that program. Our students are very interesting, you know, naturally yeah. in business success stories. So this is just one of them. And by the way, let me correct you, not 8 million cans were sold. Eight oh yeah, 8 billion. Cans. Did I say 8 million? Yeah, 8 billion cans. No, it's huge, isn't it? And it's 44 countries. And um, so when when I think of spam, I, I actually, I mean, I have a fondness of it. It's, it just, it almost does have this kind of Americana experience. Um, maybe give us just a little background. Where did spam get its name? How did it come to be? So as you mentioned, it was introduced by the Hornell Company um, at 1937. Back then, America was still struggling with the Great Depression and um, the spam was a good product to introduce at that time because it was fairly cheap. It included only six ingredients, so it's very simple. I, I heard you mention that it's a mystery product, right? It's a mystery meat. Not so much. It, it has six basic ingredients, and um, it needed no refrigeration and not even a can opener. So hmm. it was very easy to use, and it was gaining um, popularity even back then. But then, as you mentioned, um, America got involved in World War II, and Spam become became one of the the cornerstone of the the soldiers' diet back then. And they use it for other things as well, as you mentioned earlier. I think that's but, a really cool uh, uh, story that it became you know a staple for the soldiers, and um, they used the kind of the gelatinous oil from it to 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 shine their boots and to, and to waterproof their boots. I mean, really, so to tie it to the war um, and to hungry families, it does have a rich history. No, it really does. By the way, in 2009, um, Hornell added uh, potato starch to the to the original recipe of the spam in order to get rid of that gelatin yeah. layer. Because it it wasn't it didn't look good. No, that was always but, the you had to overcome that in order to get to the to get to the good stuff. Yeah, and then the name you asked about the name. So there was an interesting story behind the name because originally Hornell didn't have a good name for that product, and they had actually as part of their marketing campaign to create a buzz around that new product, they had a name contest contest, and surprisingly, or not so much. The brother of the vice president back then won that contest. He actually got a hundred dollars hmm. for 
the name of the of the spam. The meaning of what spam really is is a mystery. Not so much the product, but the the, the meaning of the name is a mystery. Originally, Hornell says that um, it's a short up for spiced ham, but then they kind of went back on that and said that it's just a you know a popular story. It's not that's not the truth. But when you don't have a good explanation, then people come up with all kinds of interpretations. Some of them, or most of them, were not that positive. So, for example. Um, some of the suggestion was it uh, stands for something posing as a meat or spare uh-huh. part animal meat or stuff pork and ham. I mean, it's yeah. on and on, but none of it really gets you to want to eat the, the product. Yeah, and, and that's, I guess, the ultimate uh, irony of this thing is people have created an emotional bond with spam and it's it's now celebrating its 80th anniversary so what do you think and what do you see you know in when your personal or professional experience ayala what 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 is what's making it such a lasting brand so um first of all they started with a really good product that addresses a really good need right so it was the right product at the right time and actually the fact that it regained popularity around the world was contributed to its original feature. It's a cheap product or, or affordable po- product, needs no refrigeration, needs no... It's very versatile. It could make it in a thousand different ways. Mm. And Hornell actually maintained that versatility over the years with all kinds of different uh, rec- uh, recipe contests and stuff like that. So you can make it in almost every, any way you want. So even if you sell it around the world, you can still custom, customize it to the local taste, right? Because right. they make it the way they eat it. In many places in the world, that was the main source of protein back then because, you know, it was introduced during times of hardship or, you know, our soldiers introduced it everywhere they went. So it wasn't, the economy was not good back then. So it, this is why it regained popularity around the world because it's still, it addressed a really, you know, genuine need. But over and above that, um, the the marketer of Sam were always, you know, very, very creative with the way they promoted the product. And they did it in so many different ways. You'll be surprised to hear that there's a Sam Museum. <laughs> there's um, they, they sponsor a NASCAR car. They, um, they even had a Broadway Hell my um, heaven, the Broadway this, play. Yeah, Sam a lot, right? So, uh, which, by the way, was based on the Monty Python show that had a piece on the Sam where the Sam was mentioned 108 times <laughs> at that specific segment, and that's what led uh, to the Sam connotation as we know it today, hmm. is the junk mail type of Things, yeah, right? yeah. So think think about all the the, the problems that the spam as the brand has to encounter over the years, all the bad connotation, and it's still a, a huge business phenomenon. That so, that's that that is why it's worth studying, right? I mean, it's to to take something uh, eighty years ago that that fit the need of the time. Um, and then to to actually get it into the military, which spread it across the globe. I mean, there's places still, and I know you mentioned this in your 
in your piece on um, theconversation.com, you mentioned the fact that in uh, – I mean it's a big, big seller in Hawaii and and even with, with um, at McDonald's and other restaurants, they actually have – Spam um, featured with other kind of, uh, I guess, specific uh, menu items that don't exist anywhere else in the country except like Hawaii. That is correct. So uh, Hawaii actually consume about 7 million cans a year, only Hawaii. Um, in Guam, they will eat 16 cans per person a year. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's a huge, huge success in Asia. And part of the reason is because it's an American product. So it's a good product. It addresses a good need, but it also had this added value of it's a slice of America in a can. So, you know, you might not be able to afford going to McDonald's, but you can afford eating a spam. And that's it. Exactly. And and it seems like... um, you know, nowadays you have kind of all the anti-meat people questioning the the type of meat it is and its healthiness. But um, again, brand-wise, which is kind of how we're looking at it, what what was it that you think? I mean, I guess is it just the diversity of how they've marketed it, getting it into literally everything? And and do you sense that 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 uh, the the iconic brand will continue into the future, where more and more people, you know, maybe are more health conscious that that they may not be able, they may not be as interested in canned meat. And and that is correct. But so over the so it's a, a real product addressing a real need, and then over the years. The company maintained the the image of the brand and the connotation of the brand in our mind during you know using their their marketing campaign. So we keep thinking we don't forget they don't do not let us forget about the brand, which is really important. And then now you're talking about generations of consumers that consume this product, so you have this sense of um, nostalgic you know uh, connection with the past. People that consume spam during hard time, you know, kind of remember how hard it was and they came through. If you talk to people, you hear that they're, they're, when they talk about the spam, they talk about it within an experience that has to do with family or with friends. So we'll tell you, well, you know, my grandfather used to make it like this or this. Or every time we get together as a family, we do this and this. So the spam is really embedded in the American culture. And that's what made it such an iconic brand, not just in America, but also outside America. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's come back and continue this discussion. We're speaking with assistant professor Dr. Ayala Ruvio, who is uh, from um, Michigan State University and the Eli Broad College of Business. She's walking us through the marketing success of spam. How it uh, tapped into Americana and American culture, how it uh, was able to readapt and, and reconfigure its branding, its marketing, and has now made it 80 years selling more than um, 80, I think it was 80 billion cans of spam. We'll continue that journey and that discussion, learning what we can about marketing 101. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
cold or hot spam hits the spot. That is one of the uh, promotional uh, taglines that spam uses to promote um, its canned meat. And who hasn't, you know, tasted it except for Jeff Simpson hasn't, uh, which seems crazy. So today we're talking with um, a marketing professor from uh, Michigan State University, the Eli Broad College of Business, Ayala Ruvio. She's a, a professor and is uh, works in applied consumer behavior, does a lot of research there and focuses on issues like identity and consumption and is walking through the, the incredible success Spam has had as becoming one of America's most iconic brands of all time. It's right up there with McDonald's, with Coca-Cola. It's, uh, it's kind of reached that and, and Pizza Hut, it's it's a brand that is so associated with the United States that um, it's 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 highly successful. So we wanted to learn what's the key. You may not love the canned meat, but boy, they've they've got something going on. Uh, Ayala, again, thank you for your time and thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Now, when you when you look at it, I mean, it's it, it, they have been able to reinvent themselves. Now, it's interesting. Spam is even being um, highlighted and used in menus in higher end restaurant recipes now. Yeah, it, it's kind of become a retro brand, right? Yeah. So they did invent it themselves, they, and they're very good at it with reinventing themselves over the years. Um, they are extremely good at detecting how taste of consumer changes over the years and what it is that they flavor. So when we were concerned back in the 80s that about fat and, you know, reduced fat and diet and stuff like that, they introduced the Spam that has 50% less fat. Hmm. Um, they introduced the, the, the one with spiced and, uh, um, I think, jalapeno. They have all kinds of flavor. They even have a kosher version, by the way. Do they really? Yeah, and oh, they also have a spam uh, um, in the form of a spread. So if you're a spreader rather yeah. than a slicer, you can enjoy that. So they really did a very, very good job in addressing um, changing trends. And one of the changing trends is, as you mentioned, you know, that now we are in a better, um, we are experiencing better economy, and people can't afford going to high-end restaurants. And here you go, you find the spam right there. And uh, I think that one of the things that pushed that transformation is, is going back to being a nostalgic brand, being a brand that reminds you good old times. And people are more open to accept it and to experience it when it comes in that form hmm. of consumption. What, what, what are some other brands that have kind of reached its level or are, I mean, that have to constantly reinvent themselves and are still able to do that? Um, I think McDonald's is struggling with some of the issues that Sam had. Uh, so originally, if you think about McDonald's and, and the, the type of items that they had on the menu, that was, you know, a very simple menu that needed no fork, no plate, nothing to eat it, right? Mm-hmm. Grab it and ate it. Similar to the Spam. You don't need anything to consume it, basically. Not even a can opener. You just open the, the can and you can eat it. <laughs> awesome. So this level of convenience. But look at McDonald's. They're struggling now with consumers that have concerns about healthy eating and healthy food and want other items that 
generated some transformation in the in the items on the menu that McDonald's are offering. So now they're offering salads. Now they're offering other items that are more appealing to consumers. So you see how brands transform and change and, you know, develop over time to accommodate changes in the taste and concerns of consumers. So it's not unusual to see that. What is unusual is that the brand survived yeah. so long, and it's still an iconic brand. Do, do you sense it, I mean, and are the sales declining as well, like McDonald's? I mean, are, are sales still holding up, and, wh- and what do you predict for the next, you know, 20 years or so? Um, I didn't see anything that indicates that their sales decline. Uh, I can tell you, though, that every time that we experience some economic declines or some hardship, they their sales soared. So in 2008, they they had a phenomenal success, hmm. as similar to uh, Walmart, for example, because we were we had some issues, right? So as long as we will encounter some economic difficulties and money will be tight, they will be there. They will provide us with with that product. And it's interesting, I mean, I guess, too, for anybody that's out there trying to create a brand or market a brand to to learn that you got to, A, start with a good product, but you also have to meet the need um, and then be willing to adapt. Those seem like pretty universal lessons. And that is true. That is correct. And you see a lot of brands that disappeared over over time is because they didn't adapt. Uh, for example, do you remember Hollywood Video? Oh yeah, yeah. They're gone. Gone, right? Right. Um, bookstores disappeared. Uh, we have, I think, we have one big um, national chain that is selling books right now. I mean, yes, that we evolve, our products evolve, our um, demands evolve. The brands need to evolve, and if they don't, then they disappear. I mean, it really is amazing. Brands like Clorox as well. I mean, they, they just they add new f- scents. They add new uh, methods of delivery. I guess they just they make it more affordable. At some point, they, you must be adapting every single, every single year or you're going to just be eaten up. You know, that's so interesting that you've mentioned Clorox as a brand because what is good, what Clorox is um, banking on, which is similar to the stem, is the whole different ways that you can use the product. Mm-hmm. All the different things that you can do way over and above the basic function. And Sam did exactly the same thing. They just, they showed you or they help you realize, you know, all the different ways that you can consume it and make it and eat it. And, um, and that's what made it, you know, the, that's what made the English people, the British, like it as much as we do, like, as much as the Hawaiian do, because it you can transform it and localize it so easily. So that versatile, that versatility, um, really kept them going for a very long time. Clorox does the exact same thing. They showed you how versatile the product is and how many uses they have. It's a good analogy. It really is, isn't it? And then too, I mean, then breaking it into all of these other countries, and I mean, I imagine once you get it being sold in as staples in other countries and affordable options in other countries, 
boy, you've you've apparently cornered the market. Well, Ayala, we appreciate your insight. This seems like such a – I mean, it, it, it just it's just a brand. It's just spam, except I love the fact that we're studying it and learning uh, how, to, how to market, really, and how, I guess, to, to further a brand and meet the need of the people. Uh, I didn't realize, too, how, how quickly – I mean, how much it was tied to the American – culture i just it's funny we sometimes spam just becomes a joke uh you know a line in somebody's joke but in the end it's killing it 80 billion cans of spam sold in 44 countries around the world that's uh that's some pretty cool insight well we'll continue the journey and continue giving you uh some empty news when we come back this is the matt townsend show stick with us helping you be the good in the world Okay, there's so much to cover when we uh, when we talk television, we talk marketing, we talk media. Where do you want to begin, Terry? Well, last week was the television critics. Uh, actually, it's ongoing. The Television Critics Association convention in oh, Los boy. Angeles. Basically, you sit around for a month, and all the TV networks come in and present all their new shows. Oh, this wow. is what we're doing and now. And then all the all of the you know the media folks they beat them up, yeah. show excitement. So yeah. you hear a lot of news-type things coming out. Um, one today that came out, Shonda Rhimes. Do you know who that is? No. She is a television producer. She is uh, the one that came up with uh, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, wow. Uh, the show Scandal, which is on uh, ABC. That's never really, seen it, never seen it. It's a. Uh, they're very popular, very popular. She has created at least $2 billion in revenue for ABC through her Holy TV shows. Holy cow, Shonda's a powerhouse. So she's a powerhouse talent. She just signed with Netflix. And she'll start making shows for them. She'll continue with her pr- projects at ABC for the time being, but nothing new for ABC. Holy cow. ABC loses a uh, – her her shows are all sort of leaning – they're kind of female-centric, female yeah. leads, and so they're, they're popular among women. And, you know, men like them also, but they, they're aimed sort of towards women that way. So, so Netflix picks her up. She's a producer, really, yeah. so she's just going to have to – creatively produce brand new programming for Netflix. Right. Because I guess, well, or Disney's pulling out of Netflix. Right. Oh, so wow. she goes, I'm... However, there might be a bright spot on that. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. They're, they're negotiating. I'm thrilled to the idea of a world where I'm not caught in the necessary grind of network television, she says. But now you're caught in the, in the unnecessary grind of Netflix You just make television. all your shows and post them. You don't have to, do, you don't have to make oh, shows true. every single I, week. And... I hate the inconveniences that come from making $2 billion. I do, too. Don't you remember when you made your first two billion and you're like, goodness, does this ever end? It was more trouble than it was worth. Totally. NBC apparently is rebooting the Munsters, the comedy from the '60s. Why? About the family of lovable monsters. Okay, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, it'll be uh, some people, including Seth Meyers, who was a part of the creative team behind us. Seth Meyers is a fan yeah. of these shows. So Excellent. Wants to reboot it. So, uh, yeah, they're going to have a, you know, they're going to, inspired by the show, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but you'll have the, you know, 1313 Mockingbird now, Lane. And, I thought, so just another Kardashian show. The Munsters? I don't know. You tell me. Why would it be a Kardashian show? You have like Frankenstein and a... So you mentioned the show that, that uh, was the inspiration for this. They're, they tried rebooting it a while back and yep. it didn't work. They had hmm. Jerry O'Connell, Eddie Izzard was Grandpa Munster in that yeah. one. Uh, Jerry O'Connell was Herman Munster. Oh, that was, those were the, you can't. Portia de Rossi was his wife, Lily. That's Ellen's wife. Yeah. 
Oh, really? Yeah. yeah so uh, they, they tried it. It had one episode. Apparently, you can watch it on YouTube, and that was it. I didn't think it was that bad from what I saw. I don't think yeah. I watched the whole episode. People, people but... thought the concept was good, but NBC thought it was too much, and they moved away. Well, this is – I guess the thing is people want entertainment. They go with a winner. The Munsters, they were killer. And each one of those actors are strong, so why not? Throw them together. And another news, NBC is looking to reboot Miami Vice. Excellent. Uh, One of the executive producers on that will be Vin Diesel. (gasps) Apparently that's the newest thing is you have a a name. Yeah, uh, once you've got the name, then and then all you need are the pastel colors. So it says the remake has been in in the works since last season. By the way, this was one of the best opening segments in their boat, in their speedboat. Flying through Miami. No, no executive producers have been locked in yet. Uh, they haven't named any actors. There's no idea what what it's what it is. They basically have a creative deal. Yeah. With Vin Diesel and this other guy, and they want to re- they want to redo Miami, Miami Vice. Vice. I guess they also go ahead. Had the movie reboot, which also did not do too well. Yeah. Oh, but all you need really are sunglasses. One of them wears a pink jacket. The other wears like a pastel light blue jacket. Can and you? Their hair just blows in the wind. Can you imagine in the parking lot here trying to open that car door that swings outward? Uh-huh. Those are. Uh, I don't. That would be impossible. This is going to be a huge success. Miami Vice, not to be confused with uh, one of Jeff's favorite shows, Miami Lice. Mm. That was a great show too. It's a it's a documentary on the uh, National Geographic Channel mm-hmm. about the life of. The lice that mm-hmm. can be found in my and just animals picking at each other to get it out. Yeah. By the way, some of the cutest pictures you've ever seen. As a parent, it's it's invaluable. Oh yeah. How to how to effectively comb your child to comb out the uh, the Miami lice. Sounds really good, actually. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the headlines that we've been covering on the empty news: Mexico City's got some new double decker buses. Jeff, is that right? And you know, they're not necessarily – I mean, I guess a double-decker bus doesn't fit everywhere. It, that's the problem. You you got yourself a bus, but it doesn't mean it can go everywhere. Yeah, this is clearly an example of somebody not planning ahead of time. Uh, the Mexi- Mexico City bus drivers have discovered the hard way that their new double-decker buses don't fit everywhere in oh, the city. brother. So a driver damaged the top of his bus by driving it into a station – Whose roof was too low to clear the vehicle? You yeah. know, that's what you always see those clearance signs yeah. up at the top. You got to know how, how tall your bus is, right? You would think somebody would have thought this out mm-hmm. a little better, right? So uh, the city received the new British-built London-style red buses just last week, and they are still conducting test runs. But the buses are only able to run on a few lines of Mexico City's confined lane metro bus routes. The director of the Metrobus system says the driver involved in Wednesday's accident took an unauthorized shortcut or on another route. So he threw the bus driver under yeah. the bus. It's <laughs> exactly what he did. It's exactly what he oh, did. Oh, and listen to this. Director Guillermo Calderon said the driver would be punished. Oh, you will be punished. You don't want to be punished down there. Stick to the route. That's what, when you know, when I was on a bus driver... You know, when I used to be a bus driver, I used to always remember the rule: stick to the route. It's just when so, in doubt, stick it's to the route. so temp- tempting to not pull through the drive-through. You know, to get your smoothie, totally. Your totally. Uh, what is that? Oh, horchata. Your, your horchata. Yeah. Yeah. 
Boy, you know, it's tragic because you buy all these nice buses and then you can't really run them through the city. It's it's a tragic waste. And who, by the way, what says Mexico City better than the double-decker red bus from the great UK? Right. So I think they've got that problem. I think because they're British buses, they've started driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, boy. Okay. Some ideas seem really good at first, and then they just fall apart on you. Well, thank you for the news update, Jeff, and everybody be careful. And be careful. And I wouldn't take – if you're going to sit on a double-decker bus in Mexico City, I'd sit on the main level. Yeah, hopefully it's not one of those convertible yeah. double-decker buses. Do not you stand can get up. a major headache. Oh, brother. Head smasher. Uh, we will continue the journey next hour, of course, uh, can, and, and talking really about all things that help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, friends. I hope your day is underway. hope you're handling it. It's all good. It's Monday, which means, hey, you're alive, you're well, you're kicking, and you have a job or a life. Yeah, and I would appreciate if you would stop kicking me under the desk here. I know. I keep hitting your, um, your what are we calling that? Your life wound? Your wound that will never heal? Lesion? Your lesion? Your oozing lesion. That's what we'll call it from here on out. We have got a great show for you today. Uh, again, you're joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio, right from the headquarters of BYU Broadcasting, where we just watched all of our leaders walk up the stairs, which means now we have one hour free to talk without any of our leaders listening. <laughs> but uh, BYU Broadcasting has BYU Television, BYU International. What if they're in the room listening to the show? Oh, boy, then I just stuck my foot in it. Yeah. Well, you know. We got a great program this hour. So much to cover. Of course, Jeff Simpson joining me with Terry South. Jeff is on the keyboard. Terry will be doing vocals today and playing a little bass for us. Yeah, baby, just work it. That actually had a piano and a bass in it. Perfect. You guys are killing it. Good job. By the way, I'm loving, I'm really getting into uh, certain jazz, but actually more uh, the blues. I, I I know I've talked about it on the show before. I can't get enough of the blues. So I, now I'm singing the blues. You have to change your tune on La La Land because that was all about jazz. That was jazz, but I'm more, I guess, blues than jazz. And mm. I'm also getting into a little Dave Matthews, a little Jack Johnson. Wow. I'm sorry. Kind of like I think it's the, that's it's the whole spam topic we talked about last hour. It's everything kind of laid back. Yeah, I would definitely put them in the spam folder. How do you not pass out? Are you you're not doing this while driving? Are you? What do you mean? Listening to this type of music? No, I don't. Yeah, I do it while driving, but I don't. You know, you don't pass out because you feel you feel their heart. They're they're basically. Jack Johnson seems to be channeling Jimmy Buffett. There's definitely a feeling to be had there. In kind of the, hey, laissez-faire, just relax, man. Relax. Breathe. Right. That's what I'm trying to do is get more relaxation into my life, more breathing. Mm. Life is good. Life is good. 
Oh, Jeff, wake up, buddy. I feel pretty relaxed when I sleep, so that's why I brought up sleeping. Yeah. No. That'd be kind of the music I would play as I want to pass out. If I want to fall asleep, I'll just go see Despicable Me 3. There you go. <laughs> wow. You or just, Cars you just 3. snuck a little. I have I not seen that one. I had a good, good nap of Cars 3. So. I'm hoping to get a good nap during that one. Really? You guys are getting old. Hey, um, let's also talk today, and I don't know if you guys need it yet, but your mm. kids are right at that age where your kids need boundaries. Right. And so we, we need to teach and learn how to teach our kids how to have boundaries. Also, by the way, adults need boundaries. So joining oh, us today. come on. I know. Nicole Cunningham uh, will be joining us to talk about how to set boundaries. Who doesn't need to be better at setting boundaries? We'll get to that fun. Plus, of course, um, we'll be visiting with our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation and, uh, of course, our hero of the day. We've got a lot to cover and so, so little time. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on nationally? On Sunday, hundreds of demonstrators gather across the country to protest. And they did so in downtown Seattle. Oh, this so story tragic. Is. On one side, members of the pro-President Donald Trump group Patriot Prayer. On the other hand, counter-protesters participating in the Solidarity Against Hate March. This was in Seattle, by the way. The rally and marchers were both organized prior to Saturday's deadly protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, which left an anti-white supremacy demonstrator dead after she was hit by a car. The march participants carried signs against the KKK and hate groups and made their way to where Patriot Prayer was gathered. The groups were separated by a barricade and police officers, and while it was peaceful for the most part, there were a few fights and some people were pepper sprayed. Seattle police say they were arrest made and weapons confiscated. Mm. I think the issue is these cities are issuing permits. They know where people are going to be protesting. They know when they're going to be protesting, and they're allowing them to come together when they should be keeping them apart, and there'd be no fight. Yeah, and then that's why we end up blaming the police and... The the lack of, I guess, what? Restraint. Somebody right. needs to restraint. By the way, there's a lot of Christian leaders um, that are that are now making comments, including mm-hmm. the LDS Church that owns Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. They came out. Uh, it's with great sadness and deep concern that we view the violence, conflict, and tragedy of recent days in Charlottesville, Virginia. People of any faith or of no faith at all should be troubled by the increase of intolerance in both words and actions that we see everywhere. Taking a taking a stand, um, and by the way, great quote. I got it because I I had met this leader of the LDS Church, President Gordon B. Hinckley. He said, "No man who makes disparaging remarks concerning those of another race can consider himself a true disciple of Christ, nor can he consider himself to be in harmony with the teachings of Christ of the Church of Christ." You got to fight against this stuff. Right. Or People else. are dying for heaven's sakes. In other news, uh, tourists haven't been deterred from visiting the tropical island of Guam, even though the U.S. territory has been the center of the North Korean U.S. threats during the past week. Poor Guam. An official with the lar- a large South Korean travel agency said several customers called with concerns, but they weren't worried enough to pay cancellation fees for their trips. It seems North Korea racks up tension or racks up tension every once or twice every year, and travelers have become insensitive about it. He says his company has sent about five thousand travelers to Guam a month this year, mostly on package tours. The U.S. territory is a population of one hundred sixty thousand, but it attracted one point five million visitors last year. One third of Guam's jobs are in the tourism industry, and the governor of Guam talked to President Trump on the phone. And President Trump said that because of the threats. Guam's going to see an uptick in tourism without any money spent. Wow, it's a it's a marketing ploy. It's going to be this huge. This is a marketing. So uh, interesting. North Korea apparently threatens to blow up Guam, 
And apparently it's just a boon for Yeah. Guam will, will be fine. They're going to have huge, a huge year of tourism. Uh, speaking of that, uh, when deciding among optional purchases, people are more likely to use credit to buy experiences like a wedding, a trip, tickets to a ball game or concert, the material goods like grills, televisions, or grills and televisions, according to a new study. It says this finding is notable because it runs counter to previous research, says the lead researcher on this. this it says it tells us more about when and why people are willing to borrow. Previously, researchers found that people bought material goods with debt because they could use that item as they were paying it off. These items were viewed as assets that could retain value or be sold later. Ha! Huh. Yeah, you, you've got something of worth, but with a trip, you have something of life experience, but you can't sell it. Right. And it says it turns out experiences are more likely to have a date stamp on them than the new TV or gaming console you can buy at any time. Right, so if you want to go to a ball game, that ball game is on Wednesday. You right? can you can get a TV at any point. You, we, you can always, but if you're at the game, you don't even need a TV. That's right. Then it says the study participants were asked about a planned experience like going to Disneyland on Saturday. People were more willing to borrow for that than buying a smartwatch. Really? But when the offer was going to Disneyland sometime, they were more willing to borrow for that than a smartwatch. Right. Boy, well, there goes the consumer world. The market, I mean, like, now you can't even sell a watch because everyone wants to go to Guam. Yeah. So you're willing to buy experiences more than things. That's these darn millennials. Is that what it is? These millennials, these darn millennials are, they're they're the ones that'll just buy experiences, not smartwatches. You're a millennial. There you go. And apparently uh, Big Ben, big clock in uh, London, is going to go quiet for renovations. The giant clock in the Elizabeth Tower will chime at noon on August 21st and fall largely silent till 2021. Says the bongs, however, will sound on special occasions like New Year's Eve. The clock has sounded on the hour almost without interruption for 157 years. Air raids. They had air raids in Europe and London, and they were still ringing the bell. One side of the clock, because I think it's a four-sided clock. Yeah. One side will operate during renovations. They'll hook it up to a generator. But other than that, the clock's going to be largely silent. Oh, that's when you were talking about Big Ben, I thought you meant Big Ben Bagley. Could be. I thought he meant Uncle Ben, oh, the I rice love. guy. What a rice guy that guy is. Uh, bad news for New Mexico. Did you hear this? There's an exodus. People are leaving New Mexico. No. Yes. Why would they do that? Because uh, the economy's not so great there. Well, but they have all those Breaking Bad sites. I thought that was bringing that in a bunch the, of I money. I think some of it was because Breaking could, Bad known for methamphetamine cooking. Could it be that since its inception, it's been called new? And maybe the new part? And these everyone, to be just like right. normal Mexico? Everyone wants to go to old Mexico. Right. So are you saying New Mexico should be incorporated into Mexico? Well, no, it's just it's like mar- <laughs> it's like bad marketing where they always say new and improved. Yeah. It's really not new anymore. The, it's it's true. still the same. What it is is New these Mexico. young bucks, the working population, are leaving the state and they're taking all the future generations with them. Overall, more young people and older adults are moving um, to the state than leaving. Hmm. Are, more young people, are, I guess, are moving away from the state than, than are staying. They're fleeing masses, wow. taking wow. kids with them. And researchers say it's the 30 to 59-year-olds that are leaving. Seems. And that with it takes not just employees, but future taxpayers of New Mexico. So they're moving for employment? Yep. 
I think Terry's got oh. a good point, though, because I've been driving by Del Taco. I drive by it every day to get home, and it still says, try the new, try our new The Del Taco. Hmm. So it's a taco that's got the, more beef in it, it's but it's Del not taco, new. Yeah. It's been around for a couple of years now. Yeah. At what point can you not call something new? Maybe people are seeing through the marketing. Maybe what they need to do is add new and improved Mexico. Change so the marketing. Yeah. I think the people there are saying, wait a second. <laughs> this ain't so new. Between 2010 and 2016, about 53,000 more people have moved out of the state than have moved in. Wow. They're, they're, it's a loss. It's a net loss, it's, which is a big deal, right? Because you need your numbers to at least remain static so you can – They'll move back. You think? They'll move back because then it'll be new to them again. The, what they need is a balloon festival. Oh, hold on. Okay. They have a balloon festival. They do. One of the biggest ones. One of the best ever. I remember being there, waking up one morning to heavy breathing. It's all I kept hearing. And I looked out my window and it was they were filling up a bunch of hot air balloons. Wow. I so, thought it was Lord Vader. Breaking Bad may be over, but Better Call Saul is still in the thick of production, Mm -hmm. and maybe as those two worlds collide, they'll have some more, uh, you know, money for their for their businesses. But uh, maybe I hope Better Call Saul's. I hope it's it's got good ratings because they got to replace fifty three thousand people a year. It was just renewed for a fourth season. That'd be rough. (sighs) What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And a production crew that's like. 20,000 people right there. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of um, Breaking Bad, energy drinks may lead to cocaine addiction. Yeah, they're saying it's like the gateway. Maybe all of a sudden your kid – you shouldn't be letting your kid drink that energy drink or your husband unless you want them to become an addict. Nearly 33 percent of young adults in the U.S. are at risk of being addicted to cocaine – a third of the country are at risk of being addicted to cocaine, to take prescription meds or non-medical use, and to become alcoholics. One in three people between the ages of 21 and 24 habitually consume energy drinks, and a new study suggests they are likely to abuse drugs or alcohol later in life. Wow. They like the stimulant. You know, I mentioned earlier I've never tried Spam. I'm proud to say I've never tried an energy drink. I Let me think. I've tried a Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But Not I, even a Red Bull. I didn't like it. I was disappointed. The, the the cough syrup hairspray sort of taste to it didn't really yeah yeah when I was an EMT that's what you a lot of like transients that were addicted they would be they'd have a big bottle of hairspray and they would just spray well, they're it taking care of their hygiene they would, no 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 they would just spray it in like a beer yeah to get more alcohol in oh it. yeah it was sad uh, this study um, that is. Uh, The study is from the University of Maryland, followed the health and risk-taking habits of about 1,000 college students over a four-year period. At the end of the analysis, the participants that drank highly caffeinated drinks were more likely to be addicted to cocaine, alcohol, or other substances compared to those that avoided the beverages. So run away from these energy drinks. Run! Is that the answer? Yes. Will this be something that Nicole Cunningham will be sharing with us? Is this a boundary that maybe, we should set, set up for our kids? Yeah. She might not bring this specific topic up, but yeah. she will bring up boundaries and how to uh, how to handle the boundaries. But, I mean, you don't think about it, but we always joke about you know marijuana being the gateway drug. But maybe there's even a pre-gateway to the gateway drug, which would be just an energy drink. Do you remember back in the day when we used to have to conjure up our own energy? I think we used to call it sleep. Hmm. 
What's that? I don't know. It's I haven't had it for years. I think uh, enjoying the stench of skunks is the gateway to marijuana. Yes, last hour we talked about a boy that woke up with a skunk in his bed. So would you rather have an energy drink? I wonder if I wonder if skunks are a gateway drug. Probably not. But they did uh, they did wake you up. It's a great alarm clock. All that uh, ahead, folks, as well as Nicole Cunningham will be joining us, teaching kids and adults to have boundaries. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Okay, friends, if you've got kids and uh, you yourself as an adult, if you've ever known that uh, we need boundaries, we need to have some we need to have some rule. We need to have some some boundary that keeps us in a nice, safe place. Today is the day you're going to learn how to handle it. Joining us is Nicole Cunningham. She's a master executive coach with 15 years of coaching and consulting experience. Nicole, Nicole has dedicated her life to assisting companies, individuals, and families in Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, UK, and now right here in the United States. She is one of the uh, the coaches at Clarity Point Coaching, one of the partners in the on the on the company in the company with our very own Kim Giles yeah. and. We love having you here, Nicole. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You've got a, you've been a busy woman. We have, yeah. I've been in Utah for twelve months now. And have you one full year? Yeah, and Kim and I have been doing some great work. You really have, and yeah. and one of the things that uh, we need help with is as a parent, you want to set boundaries, right? Kids need boundaries. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Yeah. And I have to tell you, it's the most common thing that we work with adults on because we don't learn it as children. No, it's true, huh? Right. Because why don't we? I think we're a little bit too politically correct nowadays, mm-hmm. right? We're always really afraid of confrontation. Some of us feel really ill-equipped to have difficult and awkward conversations. Yeah. And so what do we do? We just throw it underneath the rug. rug and, it's so and, true. And our kids do that too. And so then we find that, you know, middle school, like, that's the worst time of your life, isn't it? Right? Yeah. You're it's, already awkward. It, Things yeah. are hard. And then you don't, you're not equipped with language skills and, and the confidence to actually have difficult conversations. Yet at the same time, we're saying to our children every day, you can do hard things. You I believe this. in you. <laughs> but we're not actually yeah. equipping our kids. And I think a lot of it is that we don't have the skills as adults. So we thought we'd spend some time on it today Good. to actually talk about what do we do because – and the first thing is to have the confidence to have the awkward conversations. No, I guess that's the thing. We don't – is it is it we don't know how to have the conversations, so that's why we don't have it? Is it just that the conversation's weird? Because you need boundaries on weird subjects like uh, sex and drugs. Mm-hmm. And But if you don't have those conversations with your kids and establish boundaries, then they may not think that there's a problem. Yeah. I think the big thing is that we don't have the skills because yeah. once we know better, we do better. And Kim and I see this with all of the clients that we work with. Once they're actually taught how to do it, it's not as scary anymore. Right. It's like finally the big elephant in the room, right? So the big thing is is that we actually have to ask converse, um, questions in our conversations, right? So instead of me coming in and saying, actually, you know what? I've got a real issue with your child and your child doesn't share with my child and it's all really difficult and there's a lot of yelling. Yeah. If I come in and say that in your house or in your front yard, you're going to get you back up pretty quickly. All right. And then <laughs> right? it's game on. It is. And I think that's where a lot of our um, experiences as adults, because we're ill-equipped, always leads to some kind of confrontation. That's it, huh? Or conflict. And we go, oh, you know, we just can't do that. And we then just placate and placate. Oh, yeah. 
So instead, we want to actually ask questions. Hey, would you be open to us talking about how our kids get along? Right. And maybe there's some stuff that both of us could be working together because the kids go from our house to your house or they play in the the street. And, you know, it's important that we have healthy boundaries for all the kids so that they're all safe and all learning the right skills. All of a sudden, I'm seeing you as the same value. You're not the bad parent that is not doing a good job that they're influencing my child. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So it's less of an attack. Yeah. And it's kind of a universal, I guess. We're talking universally about our children because kids will play you against each other, right? Yeah. And as long as the parents aren't talking, as long as those boundaries aren't set, then the kids will just keep, I guess, taking advantage of the gap. Yeah. So so you use those questions with adults, but you also teach your children to ask those questions. Hey, you know, Sally, would it be okay if, if we all had a turn choosing the, the game? Would it's, it be okay if, you know, we play this now, but then we all take turns? So you can use the question as a tool to actually make a point. Exactly. Because all of a sudden, if I'm asking for feedback, I'm not projecting an ideal, which means you don't have your wall up. That's right. That's true, huh? Right. So then after that, we've then got to equip them with the language, right? And the language is where we see each other as having the same value and that we don't talk about, well, you did this last time you came over and you broke my truck, you know, or, hey, you parked in my driveway. (laughs) That's the adult version, right? That's right. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, You know, and and you've got to be mowing your lawn every Saturday and, you know, all this. That's right. So if we come in with these attacking you statements, Mm -hmm. you did this and you do that and, you know, last July you didn't put your garbages away, no one can fix that. No. Right? And it's attacking. Whereas if you just say, look, I've noticed that, you know, we we both kind of infringe on each other's property a little bit. I, I find myself doing it. You do it. Would we just be aware of that next time? Yeah. Right? Or Sally, you know, I've noticed that you have a hard time playing uh, Xbox without raising your voice. And when you do that, it doesn't really feel safe for us. Right? That's I don't cool. like being yelled at. I, can we not play the Wii U or the Xbox? Can we go and play outside and jump on the trampoline instead? So it's almost uh, – you're talking more, it seems like, about the data, the facts of the situation instead of a – like a judgmental interpretation. Like instead of thinking, you're just an angry person. Yeah, or you're wrong. Or you're wrong. Because that's what they hear, right? Exactly. And I don't want to be told that I'm wrong when I'm parenting my children. No. So I'm not going to be working or being open to work with you to find a solution that's good for both of our children. Interesting. So you you start with asking questions and then um, and then I guess you also have to be careful to make sure that you're fo- you're focusing on the facts of the situation versus – like some convoluted interpretation. Absolutely. So you've got to be open to both sides. So the only way to do that is actually to ask permission, but then to say, have you noticed anything with the kids? Does yeah. anything happen? What in are your you house? seeing? What are you seeing? Because if I hear you first, I don't have an agenda. Yeah. Right. And you feel that from me. I'm genuinely trying to work with, with you to find a solution that's good for everybody. That's right. You're not wrong. Yeah. So if I hear you first, then you're m- much more willing to say, hey, can I share with you what I've noticed when they come over to my house? That there's a lot of yelling when they play Xbox. So I'm kind of thinking maybe we should have the weekend off with Xbox and try and encourage them to go and play outside. How, how do you feel about that? That's good. Yeah, that's right? really good. And so there's a big piece in there with language. There's a big piece with hearing first mm-hmm. and also dropping your agenda. Yeah, because right. you, you do. You have an agenda. And, and if you also have an interpretation they, that you need your agenda because the other is a failure, mm-hmm. that's going to come out whether you say it or not. Yeah. So you almost have to make sure you don't think of them as the problem. Yeah. And, that, and the only way to truly do that is to actually look compassionately at mm. this child and at this parent who has the boundary issues and says they're doing their best. Yeah. 
every single parent out there is doing the best with the experience they've had, truly. Yeah. And none of us are better than anyone else. But the problem is, though, I mean, here in Utah, there's a big fight about whether you put a blue flag or a red flag at the front of your lawn, right? Are you a cougar or a ute? What are you? Like, this is real. So, And we already place a value statement about that. So let alone our different values around parenting, what we think is right and wrong. So when we can see everyone has that same value, we can have compassion to say, right, your child might be coming in and having behavior that's a little bit different than what we accept, but it doesn't make it wrong. Mm. And hey, can we have a conversation so that we can both and all be on the same page? So good. That's that's when you're actually going to get functionality and healthy relationships for parents and kids. Why do we – I mean, I guess – why do we – is is it because we're scared? We have fear, so we we almost start the conversation in our fear cocoon oh, with totally. anger and interpretation. So, how do we get out of our own fear of the devastating possibilities if we don't get boundaries set? How do we not show fear if we still have fear? And how do we get out of it? So the 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 main thing is to see everybody as the same as you, right? To not compare yourself to the neighbor next yeah. door. Right, Because as soon as you step outside of that comparison, you also drop your judgment, which helps your relationships. Right. right. And the second thing is is to actually accept that you're doing your best. Trust the journey that you're in. Trust that other people are on their own journey, right? And that, that everybody is doing the best that they can. In, whenever we're in this place of judgment, we then get all this our fear around confrontation and control. Yeah. Well, and like the fear I have clients that uh, their kids – got involved in marijuana because every one of their friends are doing marijuana and but then if you're if you're if you're not comfortable if you don't understand drugs or marijuana if you it's illegal there's all these kind of social cultural fears those fears then heighten your anxiety about it and you, if you're not careful because you you've got to still do this lovingly and create the boundary for your child because your child isn't just a victim here. Your child mm-hmm. also is making choices. So do we use the same technique with the kids, our children, as we do other people's parents? Absolutely. So again, using the correct language, asking permission questions, hearing them first. Always start right? there. The, so I work with a lot of high-risk teams and I, I equip the parents with the right ways to have these conversations. And it's so different to what they naturally feel is yeah. right. So they naturally want to go in and start tearing the room apart and looking for the drugs and mm-hmm. being confrontational and you know better than this and why are you doing this and it's making us look bad. And they're in a completely fear-driven state. They're completely unbalanced and it's only then going to end in disaster. Yeah. Whereas if you go in and quietly sit and go, hey, would you be open to a really difficult conversation? And, but, but, but half of them will be like, no. And you go, okay, would you be open to having a difficult conversation sometime today? Yeah. And we have to find the angle or the, the avenue to, to have that conversation. And, and then when we finally get that yes, and, it's, and I drop my agenda and I go, hey, look, I've noticed that you're sleeping a lot and that you know, your grades are slipping and you're not really wanting to socialize with your friends. Is there anything that you need? Is there anything I can do better as your mum? Hmm. Is there anything that you need to talk about? Now, if you get a no at that point, you have to respect that boundary too. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Because you can hear them saying, no, I'm good. I'm yeah. fine. And you go, that's okay. But would you be open to seeing how I see it? There would you, you be open to some feedback about what it is that I'm concerned about? Mm-hmm. Right? If you get a no there, then it gets tricky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well then, you, then you have to be more overt, right? Yeah. You have to probably come out and say more. Or we, we play the five-to-one rule, which is we have five listening conversations to every one conversation where I'm actually having my opinion and my agenda. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
right? So we, we run parenting classes where we talk about the balance between trust and control. If they know they can't, that they're not trusted by me or they can't trust me because I'm going to go and search their room anyway, mm-hmm. right? I've already lost that battle and I have to be in a place of control and control is only ever fear-based. Yeah. Instead, I'd much prefer to be open with you and trust you and you can trust me and that we can have this open dialogue as difficult as it is. That's actually going to strengthen and make that relationship healthier. Interesting. Is um, I guess too, when you look at it, you're, you're still the, the adult, you're still the parent. Right, yeah. you're the one that. I mean, I guess if you're trying to control them, you're what you're trying to do too is stop an illegal activity yeah. that could get you arrested or did get you suspended. Or mm-hmm. so you then at some point you're saying try to build trust over time, which hopefully we've been doing. Yeah. And if you haven't, then you're already behind the game. You've got to figure out how to build trust now, rather than correct the problem. That's right. Right? right, And whereas a lot of parents are so afraid of the consequences of the problem that they forget there's a relationship here that needs to last the test of time. What if what right? if what if you run into the fact that you've neglected to build the trust, but you also have a situation that has to be dealt with yeah. today? Like yeah. it's got to be dealt with today. Today you were suspended yeah. from school because of what they found in your locker. Yeah. So and so you're just saying, can we talk about that? Can we talk about it? And you know what? The consequences are going to be what they are because you didn't have boundaries. And so both of us need to have responsibility around this. Yeah, and you we know got to get on this. But, you know, you might have to spend overnight in jail and I might have to come and bail you out or we might be looking at jail time, whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm sorry that this – but you know what? I'm going to love you and stick by you through this because sometimes consequences are the boundaries that you didn't do. Right, exactly. Which is still essential. We have to have children as functional – adults part of society contributing, mm-hmm. right? I often think that the generation we're working with now are very enabled, right? Oh, yeah. And so we talk about this entitled generation, but I actually think they're entitled because we enable them. Oh, it's okay, don't do this test, you know, or, or sleep in and we'll work it out with your teacher later. Or it's okay, we can get do packets over summer school. Mm-hmm. Or we can, well, yeah. sometimes the boundaries and are actually the consequences. And sometimes you, you, everybody in the family needs that jolt right. to say, right, what are we all doing mm-hmm. that needs to change as we go into this new school year? And how can our dialogue improve? And how can I show up for you better? And in return, how are you going to respect the house rules better? That's huge. Right? Huge. Uh, Nicole Cunningham is her name. Go to the website, claritypointcoaching.com, where you can find out more about um, about some practices on, on how to create these conversations, also how to build these boundaries. We will continue the discussion in just a bit more on boundaries and uh, these, these healthy, I guess, safer conversations showing up for our kids right here on The Matt Townsend Show. You earn that uh, place of trust in your child's life. It, it will include some boundary setting. It'll also really include trust building. And the trust building better be there before you start trying to lay down the law. Joining us to talk about it is Nicole Cunningham. She's a master executive coach with 15 years of coaching and consulting experience. She's also the COO of Clarity Point Coaching, which you can find at claritypointcoaching.com. She's a partner with uh, Kim Giles, who's on the show regularly as well. Nicole, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Talk to us about um, how – because, again, just because I'm your parent doesn't mean – 
that you're going to trust me enough to tell me your secret yeah. of what you're struggling with. So how do we earn the place of trust so we are that first call when our kids need us? Yeah. I mean, we all are afraid of those teenage years, oh, right? Oh, scary. And it's the work in these earlier years about you being that safe place, that firm and fair, trusted place to actually be heard and valued that really then opens the door to really healthy dialogue and getting through the hardest stuff in the teenage years. Oh, yeah. So let's look at the the pieces that you need to do that. First of all, you, you've got to drop your own agenda. You've got to be a good listener, right? You've it's got to be about where they are, not where you are. Yeah. So, hey, what's going on in your life? Is there anything that I can do differently? Is there any way I could better show up for you? Is there anything that you need, right? What's going on in your world, right? And truly then bite your tongue if you have to mm-hmm. and learn to listen, right? And then validate how they feel. Yeah. Even if in your mind you're thinking – Honestly, this is so far from the truth. That's crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. You still sit there and go, okay, I get how you could see it that way. Because at the end of the day, as wrong and as miscalculated yeah. as their feelings are, they are absolutely entitled to those feelings just like you are. That's right. Right? Well, that's what I feel too is that even if I don't agree with what you're saying, I can still understand how you got there, why you feel that way, show that I understand but that's the hard part is in the back of our heads, we then think, okay, now I've got to correct you. I'm going to yeah, correct you. Which means I have an agenda. That's right. So you can't – you're not here to correct him. First, you need to understand him. Yeah. So I've got to drop my agenda and truly listen first. Yeah. And then if I actually want to put my piece in, I've got to ask permission. Hey, would you be open to a different way of looking at it? Or, hey, I can see how you would feel that way, but would you be open to a different perspective? Mm. And what if, right? they, what if they are bold enough to say, not really – then you go, that's okay, okay. but I, I really appreciate you sharing with me how you feel. Now, if you stop there every five times, and then sometimes there are some things that are urgent, which yeah. is, you know what, you've got a math test on Friday, and you've been out every night and breaking curfew, and we've got to have this conversation. If you're doing five of those to every one, you're in a position to go, actually, young lady, yeah. come back. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about this. I'm, I, I'm respecting that you don't want to have this conversation, but I love you. And as your mother, this has got to put a boundary in. This yeah. is actually me doing my job effectively and doing the right thing. And we're going to have this hard conversation. And I, I right? like that idea too where you're saying like, if I'm worried about the test coming up, then I might express eventually like you're saying that my worries about the test. And how, and, the, and then I try to figure out how can I know with confidence that you're going to do well on that test? Without nagging you, I, but there's there's now to me there's a new boundary. Yeah. How you do on that test tells me how real what you're saying is. Yeah. Are you really on top of it like you say? And so. And I'm going to trust you this time because right. I'm, I'm gonna hearing trust you. you. But if right? you fail, it's your consequence. There's yeah. a reality and then, here. And then maybe it's a conversation we can both look at and we That's can good. both come up with a solution. Yeah. So can you see how I'm earning trust here? Absolutely. Instead of going, right, young lady, on Friday you've got a test. You're unprepared. So you know what? You're grounded until it's yeah. over and you better get a B, right? right? Unfortunately, a lot of us are in that unbalanced place because we're really concerned about our kids' grades. That's we're right. really concerned about the people they're hanging out with. And, and we know the way the world is is different than when we grew up. And right. there's a lot of fear around that unknown. But we've got to work on strengthening this trust because if you think you're going to get through these years without these difficult conversations, you know, you're, you're living in a delusion. Yeah, yeah. But instead, if you're equipping yourself and earning the trust and, and problem solving together and more importantly, listening and validating, they will come to you when they're stuck. Absolutely. And I think every parent, all we want to do is be that person that they make that phone call with if they're in trouble or they're at a party and they feel unsafe or that they've, they're in trouble – but unfortunately, a lot of parents don't get that call, and then they're really offended. That's right. As if, you know, how could she do it yeah. to me? 
actually, you're the parent. That's right. You earn that place or you don't. And when there's a lot of other people who are competing for that space, like perhaps boyfriends and girlfriends who yeah. aren't necessarily the, looking out for them, like that's you right. Would. Or peer pressure, things like that. It, it becomes even more important for us to have boundaries and for us to respect these boundaries in our children and give the place and the time for these relationships to develop. Mm. It's so true, isn't it? And it's and it can't be. It, it's like it's. It seems like to me, it's like exercising. You, if you want the benefits of of being able to be healthy physically, you're going to have to put in the time ahead of time. Yeah, you can't put it in right now. Like if, if all of a sudden your son's struggling. It may be too late to have built the trust where they do come to you, but then in that moment, start working out with them. Start building it now so you can use it in a week. I want to make sure we leave parents who are listening to this who are perhaps going, well, my child's already there there. with some hope, right, to say that it's never too late to actually start adjusting your own behavior. That's right. And and you'll you'll reap the benefit in just a few days. Yeah. It'll happen immediately. I mean, it'll happen quickly, but you've got to invest the time. So let's let's go through those points again so parents know where to start. So the first one is, is to actually show up and listen. And validate. Bite your tongue if you have to. Right? Use that five to one rule where you're not going to give your feedback and you're not going to have an agenda. You're just going to show up and listen and build that relationship of trust. And then before – this is the critical piece. Before you actually give over your advice, you ask permission. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, you respect that boundary because that's what you would expect as an adult if right. it was an adult to adult. And there's this funny dynamic. At what point do they become, the, uh, our teens and our tweens, this adult relationship adjusts right. from one of parent to child into one of – there's a little bit more equality. It's more adult to adult. And every dynamic is going to be different. Totally. But the only transition to that is actually respecting their boundaries. Right. And modeling boundaries. Mm-hmm. And right? yeah, teaching them that there is a boundary. Yeah. Because some kids may not even know there's a boundary because parents have violated it so many times. Absolutely. And then if you do get a yes in that moment and they are willing to hear your feedback, you deliver it with love and compassion. So you don't go in with judgment saying, you didn't do this and you've been irresponsible and da, 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 da. It's I've noticed the yeah. I instead of the you. I've noticed that you're falling behind in your schoolwork. I've also noticed that you're neglecting the chores around the house. What is it that we can both do together to support you to get through this time so that you are going to be more responsible and accountable and you're going to be kinder to your siblings and you're going to be participating in a healthier way for all of us? It's beautiful. And, yeah, now you're into the we. What can we do together yeah. here? Because you know what? I'm going to get more buy-in from my child at that point Absolutely. than being accused and she's just going to shut down and I'm not that safe place. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nicole Cunningham, thanks for being with us. Again, go to ClarityPointCoaching.com and you can find – there's so many free resources on the site. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. We, so, Kim does a great job of, of delivering a whole lot of free content. So, which is really needed, right? Yeah. We need yeah. it. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure. Great stuff. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Go check it out on the website. Also, if you just go Google um, Nicole Cunningham and Kim Giles, you'll get a million articles from them as well on how to to just work with uh, people and being healthier and really losing your fear, which is powerful, I think, for all of us to be able to take over our lives. Up next, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. It's that time again, folks, when we head down uh, Pacific Coast Highway in our convertible car, listening to this wonderful 
80s, 70s music. I don't know where it's from. To our good buddies, Jerem and Jason, find out what's coming up on their show, BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Sports. Good morning. Sports here. Get your sports here. How are you guys? On papes, you know. Mm. Wow. <laughs> We're crutchy. Jason sounded like he had a cough or something. What? No, I, I, I was... Uh, I thought you were I was, going through that change, maybe. Maybe, maybe. A little later than most, but that's fine. <laughs> it happens. You're don't talking you, about the braces, right? Yeah, don't you hate it when you get that change in your 30s and 40s? <laughs> it happens. You yeah. know what? You know what? You just take life as, uh, as it comes. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, question for you. Uh, what do you think about Michael Bennett Marshawn, and Marshawn Lynch taking, uh, sitting out the old national anthem? Is this going to create another... Uh, another fiasco this year, like a, another media point. I imagine that it is. Well, it hasn't created. It's already there. Yeah, it, another uh, discussion fair. about what the proper etiquette of uh, you know freedom of speech and treatment of that. And yeah, it's it's interesting because there are those who don't like it. There are those who agree with it. I but honestly, as long as it's done in a respectful yeah. manner from both sides, I, th- I think that we should find some middle ground there. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think it probably gets the publicity that it did last year with Kaepernick. Yeah, um, I mean that that was because that was kind of the first of it, and so when it's, something's done the first time, it obviously gets the most attention, and and so I, I'm not sure that it gets the same type of attention, but I mean it it's certainly it's certainly not going away. Mm. It's not going away. But what's going what's here to stay, I'll tell you, is um, BYU football. Because in a weird, yeah. I just feel like that's all I'm hearing now. It's everywhere. It's that time, baby. We're 12 days away. This is so exciting. It's, it's very exciting. Oh, oh by the way, uh, we're a week away from, you know, Coordinator's Corner on BYU Radio coming up. Uh, the Coach Show on BYU Radio, BYU TV, the TV element, a, a new part coming up next Tuesday. And then, of course, Game Week. Wow. BYU Sports Nations, we're with you every day, all, all year. All year. Every weekday, which is going to be fun. What's on um, the show today? Today is going to be an exciting day. We are really I mean, excited. of all the days to yes. have a day, today's the day. Today is one of the days. Today is one of those days. A man among other men. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about who the top playmaker is going to be. Not named Tanner Mangum. Ooh. All kinds of choices on both sides of the ball. If you want to go special teams, that would be a special choice as well. Wow. Who's going to be the top playmaker will be part of the discussion today. Also continue our two-on-ones. And when I say our, I mean uh, Spencer and Jerem. Uh, they talked with Bo Hodge. Team mm-hmm. BYUSN. Yeah, you yes. are a part of that. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you so oh, much. That was cute. Uh, Team BYUSN uh, talked with Bo Hodge as well as Riley Burt. You are going to hear and see both of those interviews today. Plus, you thought Spikeball was the new most popular game in the yeah. U.S.? Pay yeah. attention to this, folks. This it's, is going to be big. It's actually not. It's called a game, it's a game called Bo Tanner or Bo Tanner. So BYU has a player named Bo Hodge, Tanner Mangum, and then Bo Tanner. Okay? Okay. So we will play Bo Tanner or Bo Tanner. Really? What, what's, what's ben the, Bagley will give us a fact, and we're going to have to guess oh, which of the three Bo BYU players it Tanner. is. Bo Tanner or Bo Tanner. Oh, wow. Wow, what a game. That we're is really excited about ball. it. If the we game think turns it's going out to, to happen. If the game turns out to be as fun as just saying the name of the game is to us, oh. we're in good shape. Oh, <laughs> we're all making money if that's the case. <laughs> you guys are so easy to please. All you need is a fun name of a game. It doesn't even have to be a good it's, game. Yeah, it's... But it Who will knows be. how? Yeah, we think it's going to be good. Otherwise, it'll we be. wouldn't do oh, it. Oh, it'll be fantastic. every time we say Bo Tanner or Bo Tanner, we giggle. We 
<laughs> like a bunch of squirrels. <laughs> yeah. I'm still laughing. <laughs> I and, can't stop it. And then right after the show. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, Immediately following. I guess 40 minutes after. But uh, 1.40 Eastern Time, you can go to the BYU TV Sports Facebook page, watch live interviews with coaches and players, plus our recap after BYU football practice today. Wow. We got a lot going on, baby. Let's go. You guys are locked and loaded. Yes. This is a, um, I think this is a really big deal. I, I didn't want to bring this up, but um, we had a story we did earlier about waking up in a bed. A kid woke up in a bed with a skunk in his bed. What? It happens. And you just, you know, that, you know, when you're having that dream about just holding your puppy in bed and then you find out you're a 13 year old boy and you wake up and oh, you find it out a it's a skunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's, what's the, what's the worst thing that you ever woke up to in bed? Um, skunk? <laughs> <laughs> Alarms going off. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. But I've never... had, by the way, speaking of skunks, uh, I drove past one or ran over one or something Ooh. Uh, like a week or two ago. Yeah. And I have not been able to get that skunk smell out of my car and my nostrils since. Yeah. It is so strong. Been there, done that. It's horrible. Well, I'm sorry it happened to you. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. Well, thank Seriously. you. Thank you. Uh, this what? isn't that bad, but sometimes my four-year-old will... Like walk up to our bed mm-hmm. and then say, mommy or daddy. And I turn and then all of a sudden I see another human oh. right next to me. And I'm like, ha! What the? <laughs> and then it scares her and she's crying and I, you know, I'm crying. We're all crying. Yeah. Don't you hate Wait, it? Wait, why are you crying? I don't know. I just, I just need to get it out sometimes. Everybody's just crying. Better there than here. Oh my heavens, guys. <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to be a good show. And I learned a lot about both of you. Thank you for taking my psychological test. Excellent stuff. You're not going to want to miss it, folks. It's just about five minutes away. BYU Sports Nation with uh, Jason and Jerem up today. BYUSN. You will not want to miss it. Hey, uh, crazy little uh, story out of an Iowa town. Apparently, it was not so special of an election in the tiny town of McIntyre, Iowa, where none of his uh, 70 registered voters showed up to cast their ballots. So it was a special election, but nobody showed up. I'm all alone. Tuesday's ballot asked two questions. Should the term of the mayor be raised to four years from two? And should the term's council members be raised to four years? Staggered from two years. And, of course, nobody shows up. So how do you hold a vote when nobody shows up? Anyway, come on, Iowa. you got to vote. Now to our hero story of the day. A New Jersey nurse saves the life of another person on an airplane. A nurse on the job for only nine months, Courtney Donlan sprang into action aboard a JetBlue connecting flight from Fort Lauderdale in early June. Around 7.30 a.m. over the plane's loudspeaker came a crew member asking if any medical professionals were on board. Though sleeping, Donlin, 22, was awakened by the announcement. She stood up and began her newly acquired RN license to good use, putting it to good use. The nurse, uh, a nurse at the Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick since September, Donlin helped save the life of a fellow passenger that was experiencing a cardiac event on the flight. I stood up. I went over to the flight attendant. As soon as I identified myself as a nurse, they let me start assessing the woman in distress. And she introduced herself to her. Everybody was cooperative. And when I needed aspirin, the flight attendants checked with the captain, but quickly approved, asking the passengers for it. Anyway, they were able to get this woman some aspirin. 
And uh, she, this woman had passed out, and she was able to be, uh, she was awake by the time the plane landed. So thank heavens for one Courtney Donlan, who's the hero of the day, just shows up, you know, is there to help a hand, lend a hand, do the little that she could. That's what a hero is, folks. You don't have to risk your life. You don't have to do crazy extreme things. Sometimes you just need to offer what you yourself can offer. That's why we do the show, to give you the hope that there's good in the world and you are part of that good if you're willing to step up. And that is the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. BYU Sports Nation is up next, my friends. We'll talk again tomorrow.